Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Y'all know what time it is. It is time for In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Here with you live on a Saturday night, January the 20th, 2018. I'm Dre, he's Jay. We're both back in full effect on our good microphones because so far so good in our little pregame chat that everything has sounded good and, and everything looks like we're we're lined up and ready to go. Uh, not on the phones tonight, not on the, the, the tinny little phone lines, but I am in real life on real microphones sounding as only we can sound and giving you all the information that you need and some that you might not. For the NFL Conference title game, Championship Sunday, coming up tomorrow as the Jaguars face the Patriots, followed by the Vikings visiting the Eagles. And, Jay, we had, of course, a very, very interesting last weekend, the divisional round, to get to this point. We had some results that uh, I know I didn't see coming, and you had one where you had to sort of flip-flop in the middle and, and – Make a decision. Which game were you going to change your pick on in order to have a chance to to catch me uh, in the season picks championship that we have? And and you you made the right decision. Good good job out of you. Jason, are you there? I'm totally fucking with you. <laughs> oh, see. <laughs> <laughs> And it wouldn't be the show. It, it, it wouldn't be a show if we didn't start off with you talking to me and dead air after that. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. This thing so, on? No, no, I totally and I and I and I got you too. I had to keep it going just long enough. Yeah. To get you to to, to ask you like hello. Oh oh, oh 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 yeah, and I could just imagine you sitting there right now like scrambling for your phone, getting ready to text me. Um. You got. Me. Yeah, you know I couldn't tell. <laughs> got to be honest with me because you know you texted me right away and you put it in the show title i couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic about my flip-flop it was a brilliant flip-flop it was uh you you had to decide which way you were going to flip and and you flipped the right way no i'm not uh we we, we've both been on that side where we're looking at the the little points championship and, and trying to figure out what's the best strategy to go about trying to catch the guy. And we got to make a decision. We might make a, a pick that we don't fully believe in or fully agree with, but we got to do it. We got to make a pick one way or another. And, and you're going to have to do it tonight because you're still uh, enough points behind me that you're going to yeah. be listening to me pontificate and give my picks. And then you're going to have to decide which way you're going to go. It might not be the way that you love. Uh, you, you might absolutely hate which side that you have to take, but you have to take, one of the two sides. So uh, we've both been there. So no, I'm serious. Good, brilliant flip-flop. I've tried that flip-flop many times against you and failed miserably. Well, no, and I mean, we both over the 20 plus years that we've been doing this 25, 20, oh my God, I forget it. It's so long. (laughs) Every year, one of us reaches this point. 
it, you know, it's, it's very, it's, everybody's always got to decide. And, and I would say the vast majority of the time when you are forced into that position that you have to disagree or you have to pick the loser that the other, you, you do it wrong. I've, I've had it happen. Yeah. Even on this show, we've both been there where it just didn't matter. You, it, and it wasn't that you flip-flopped. It was that you flip-flopped the wrong game. Right. I mean, we had a whole season come down to that a couple of a seasons ago where I, I flipped on the wrong game during the conference uh, championship. And had I not done that, I would have won the whole year. If I had the other mm-hmm. game, you know, if instead of taking Arizona over Carolina, if I would have taken Denver over New England, that was it. I would have won because you clearly were in the bag for Carolina in the Super Bowl, which would have given me Denver. Boom. And that would have been a victory. So yeah, it can, it can be that, it can be that easy. And we haven't had that many, we've had a lot of seasons where it's come down to somebody winning. And every year that we've been on the podcast, somebody has just gone out. The person who was winning going into the postseason has won. And that's not normal for the way we do this. (laughs) We've seen an extreme level of consistency. The person who won the regular season then went on to win um, the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, our you know through the Super Bowl for us, it has picked the Super Bowl. Correza, just a lot of good playoff picking by the person who was good in the regular season. And so many times over the years prior to this podcast, we have seen the underdog somehow eke out um, a victory. So I'm hoping to do it this year. I did put myself, it didn't put myself in good position, but I cut that lead of yours down to six. If I can get you one wrong this week, I could get that down to two and then force you to win your Super Bowl pick. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, I mean, I know, I, I know when I made my switch on Jacksonville, I did target that as the game that I had the least confidence in going with Pittsburgh. You know, that was one that that was the game that I struggled with a ton. I I had a hard time going the way that I did even to begin with. So as soon as I knew that we were even on all four, I didn't even hesitate. I said, that's it. Switch me over to Jacksonville because I I was so not clear on my Pittsburgh pick because you could see that, you know, the Jacksonville clearly – had the defense and could have had a pathway to success. And, you know, what did I, what did I say? If Roethlisberger throws a pick early, could get into his head. I mean, and nothing went right for Pittsburgh to start that game. And what? I hit the wrong button. Oh. Sorry about that. Boy, howdy. That's our old theme song. Yeah, that's our I'm old theme song. trying to hit the boy like, howdy wow, you, you brought out our old theme song. <laughs> Well, good night, folks. We'll talk uh, to you for honors and dishonors. No, just did the wrong. Yeah, part. so you know the the fact that it kind of lined up the way that I was hoping it would line up for Jacksonville, and that Jacksonville got out to the big lead, and Pittsburgh just completely played desperate after that, and couldn't really ever quite get all the way back because their defense, which we had highlighted, this is, remember, I mean, as soon as Ryan Shazier got hurt, they gave up 39 points to the Baltimore Ravens. It was all right there in front of us. It was all right there. So that was the one that I highlighted. So I don't, I I don't want to call it a brilliant flip-flop, but it was the game I was the most sort of wishy-washy on to begin with. So that was the logical choice for me to change. And it worked out. 
And I don't think either one of us had that as an 87-point game. <laughs> no. Uh, but nonetheless, for anyone who didn't listen to our picks, we had all four games the exact same way. We both we saw all four going the same way, and then you had to make that decision on the fly uh, to change one of those four in order to stay within shouting distance of me. So it may have been the one you had the least confidence in, but you still had to pull the trigger, and, and you did it. So... Yeah, brilliant football. Good for dilly, you. Dilly. Dilly, dilly. Thank you. I'll take full credit for flip-flopping. Hey, you can do it in politics. Why can't you do it in sports picking? At least I didn't do it after the game. Well, yeah, that, that's the best. That, that's the, the foolproof way of picking games is to wait until after they're over and, and decide. That, that's our, <laughs> our buddy, uh, Tim, the D.C. correspondent. That was his best way of picking games was after they ended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, on reflection, I think I might have the Jaguars. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm going to have them scoring in the 40s. How about that one, huh? Yeah, and, and it's it's hard for every – you know, I know that the Steelers made that a three-point game, but that was completely useless. That was a, basically a 10-point Jaguars win because the Steelers scored that last touchdown with no time remaining. Correct. And then they put one second back on the clock for a completely meaningless squib kick. Yeah, I, that game was just, like you said, that first interception that Roethlisberger throws, and it's like, uh-oh, here we go. And just like you said, uh, an early NIT uh, might call some flashbacks, and, and I'm sure uh, our, our, our guy uh, Bryson Brooklyn, the world's oh. biggest Steelers fan, was was rubbing his temples and, and – crushing his beer can going, oh, come on, not again. So, yeah, the the whole Pittsburgh area, and I tell you, uh, it was the, that was the second of the three uh, elite pass defenses going against elite pass offenses that my research said the trend would be to go with the pass defenses, and I completely ignored that and went with the, the three passing offenses instead, and all three lost, so nice job out of me. Uh, so that was the second uh, of those elite Ds sort of rising up. And, I mean, they clearly have Pittsburgh's number. Whatever the reason, whatever the, the situation might be, the Jaguars uh, are in the Steelers' head. They have their number. That game started out so well for Jacksonville, and you could sort of see the Steelers' shoulders. So I'm like, oh, God, this this again, uphill battle again. We're, we're going to do this again? And all the stats and all the points that Roethlisberger and the Steelers racked up all in vain, all the, not garbage time, but all sort of from behind with this air of desperation, uh, almost feeling like plays that they wouldn't try or throws that they wouldn't try or plays that they, that they wouldn't make if they had their druthers about them. Some of the throws and some of the, the situations that they put themselves in that, if the Jaguars knock some of those passes away, it actually could have been even a bigger blood. It could have been almost uh, another 30 to nine again, uh, except for some of the great throws that Roethlisberger made and some of the great catches that Antonio Brown uh, and company made. But uh, I, I tell you the pass rush, the, the DBs in coverage, then miles Jack makes a, an incredible uh, interception in, in the underneath coverage. What can you do? What, what are you going to do? Everything you're trying Against the Jaguars defense, they got it covered and, and they're shutting it down. What what the fuck are you gonna do? 
Well, and you clearly saw, you know, we, we, we tried to discount that first game that they played against each other as the, you know, I tried to say it was the Steelers kind of overlooking the page uh, over the overlooking, I'm sorry, overlooking the Jaguars as they, you know, as they, as they're known to do. And, and really, I think what it was, was that you just saw, I mean, I watched that in the first half of that game and, you know, and, and obviously when their season was on the line and they clearly had more offensive talent that, that you saw that, that the desperate comeback attempt, but what I saw was a Jacksonville team that was literally just pushing the Steelers around on both sides of the ball. Manhandling. I mean, the St- the Steelers' offensive line was three yards into its own backfield, it seemed like, on every play. And the opposite on every offensive play for Jacksonville. They were just more physical. And they brought, you know, just like that nasty that we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, and, and they really played with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they, they relished the underdog role. And they're just young, and they're fast, and they're deep, and they don't have to blitz, and they can still get pressure, and that allows those all those linebackers and all those DBs to to roam around in space and and make plays. And they didn't make it easy. I mean, Pitt, I mean, uh, Pittsburgh was starting to get those those big deep plays, but it just never felt like they were in control. And you also had that feeling that, yeah, that Pittsburgh's going to score, and then they're just going to give it right back. And that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. And then you saw in that fourth quarter, I mean, Jacksonville scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. Well, the Pittsburgh defense was asleep to start the game. They were asleep in the fourth quarter to end the game. They were asleep yeah. the entire time. So, yeah, there, there's no way you can come back when your defense is just going to give up everything that you uh, achieve out there on the field. And that's why I know I've been saying on this show – uh, to people I know, I've been saying for a while that this is, honestly, this is the NF, this is the AFC conference championship matchup I wanted. Yeah, the Jaguars going after I Tom remember Brady telling the you, I, rem- I remember telling you, remember I said I, I power ranked the five AFC teams that I thought could go in as in the order that I thought they could go into New England and win, and I had Jacksonville at the top. You, know, you you get what you want. It's, it's right there I get, for you. I get I get the AFC champion. Now I said this could be nothing. I mean, I New England could go in there and just completely blow the doors off Jacksonville and just outclass them and you know be more professional. And I I wouldn't be stunned if that happened. But Jacksonville defense reminds me of those teams, the, the Ravens, the Broncos, the. The, the Giants, the teams all seem to fit that same pattern. Pressure with four, lots of guys roaming around in that secondary to disrupt things or just make Tom Brady have to hold on the ball for that extra split second, throw that timing off. This is the matchup I want. It doesn't mean I'm going to like the result. <laughs> <laughs> well, but maybe teams like, have I think come, this is, yeah, I was just thinking through for the, my, for the Patriots and, and live to regret it. Yeah, I think that offense against defense, you know, that Patriots offense against this Jacksonville defense is the tough. This is the toughest matchup I think the Patriots have all year as far as having a game plan for a defense. There's playmakers yeah, I, I, everywhere on that team. I, I will agree with that. 
but yeah, everything went the Jaguars' way against the Steelers. Big balls to go on fourth and goal on that first drive uh, yeah. to get the, the touchdown. Did you like how Leonard it's... Fournette sort of body surfed into the end zone? <laughs> hey, get get the ball over however you can do it. That's all that that's all that matters. What I was, of course, more stunned by, as I'm sure everyone else was, was the way that the Jaguars matriculated the ball down the field with all this uh, play action and, and uh, gunning the ball from Blake Bortles right off the bat and hitting these targets, not just for completions, but all of them were for you know 10 yards, 12 yards, 14 yards. All of them kept moving the chains, and the Steelers couldn't stop it, could not stop them. And finally clamp down in the in the red zone right there at the goal line when you're supposed to. And the Jaguars say, well, you know what? Now on fourth down, we'll use this Leonard Fournette guy who's kind of big and kind of burly. And this is the part where we'll, we'll use him to get what we need. And really, you can't draw it up any better. And then to come right back with, a, with a, an immediate Fournette touchdown after that Miles Jack uh, interception is like, uh-oh. It, it, the whole game, it just felt like this is over. There's, there's nothing the Steelers yeah. can do. The momentum is all on Jacksonville's side. Uh, I, I said that the team uh, was young and, and good and let you know how good they are, and they were in need of a humbling, and the Steelers were not in position to give them a humbling. I'm, I'm sure Pittsburgh was trying, but physically they just could not do it. The Jaguars took whatever they wanted. And what you're talking about, though, with the with the way that the Jaguars came out with the play action and sort of went against the script of what you thought they were going to do, which was just come out and immediately go smash mouth. <gasps> That's coaching. Oh, my God. That was actually game planning and coaching, putting your quarterback in immediate position to succeed. What are the what are the Steelers thinking that the Jags are going to come to do to try to win the game? They're going to run the ball right at them. And what do they give them? A whole bunch of play fakes to start that game. Get the pay, get the Steelers selling out up the middle. They actually used the pass to set up the run in that game, and it was a brilliant move. And the, well, the Steelers were skate. all yeah, – because I got into the second quarter of that game, I felt bad for the Steelers because the Steelers, you could just see, had no clue what Jacksonville was yeah. going to do. Every time you thought they were going to run, they'd throw. Every time, I mean, and and vice versa. And then, of course, you get that drive in their heads immediately. Roethlisberger throws a pick, and on, on a great that Miles Jack interception. I mean, he toe tapped and and did the dance on the sideline better than most wide receivers do. And then immediately, Fournette goes in for the touchdown, and you just could see the Steelers. The fans were out of it. Everybody was just like, oh, oh no. It's mm-hmm. happening again. I mean, it was hey, in versus boys. Happened? Yeah, it yeah, was that's exactly that was the what it whole was. And <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to say it because every, everybody's on, you know, and uh, you know, Todd Haley got unceremoniously dumped after that. But I think Mike Tomlin just got straight up out coached by Jacksonville in that game. He, he did. Uh, I. Thought that it was about time for Tomlin to go last year, and, and he survived and thrived and, and got the Steelers back to a, a strong position. But I, I, I guess I still have that nagging feeling that there's just something there that's not quite over the top, that the Steelers could maybe get some, some fresh blood in there and get, get some new eyes. They're going to get a, a new uh, OC, obviously, 
Uh, and there, there, there's a little bit of a stale feeling to that team right now that they, they're very good, but they're not where they need to be. And a, a young team like the Jaguars that clearly has their number uh, sort of illustrated to me uh, some of the, the shortcomings that they have. Yeah, and it's been there. It's been there for us. It's been there for us all year with the Steelers. We've mocked them. We've made fun of them. We've pointed out all the flaws. And yet there it was at that moment. And we were technically both still thinking that it was the Steelers to have. Um, but I was not sure of them enough that I targeted them as the as the team that I was just going to have to disagree with you on. And sad thing is for you is if you would have just had Jacksonville, I probably would have had Pittsburgh and looked really dumb. Yeah. Oh, only if I would have done that. Only if I would have yeah. followed my own research that I worked so hard on, uh, but it was not meant to be. But at least I can yeah. brag about my X Factor making uh, an impact because Yannick Ngakwe did have the hit yes. that made Ben fumble uh, to lead to the, the Telvin Smith 50-yard uh, fumble return for a touchdown. So yeah. at least I got that much going for me. Well, and I can take credit for my X Factor making no impact. <laughs> and in being an X Factor almost in the way that in the negative way that I thought he might. John Spence did zero in that game. Nothing. Yeah, they they could have used uh something from, they from anybody. Could have used a little bit more Ryan Shazier. I at one point I was watching that <sighs> game because we were at work and I said, you know, just throw his ass out there in the wheelchair, he'd be more effective. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um. Yeah, they they could have the, that hole in the middle of the defense that was obvious from the moment that he got hurt. I I didn't know that it was going to come up to bite them this early in the playoffs. I thought they'd make it at least one round before they severely yeah. missed him, but they severely missed him right off the bat. I mean, every third time Blake Bortles completed a catch, I'm going who? Right. The O'Shaughnessy? Who who are these yeah. people? Who, Bohannon? <laughs> yeah. Who? Touchdown Tommy Bohannon. That guy. Yeah. Was that Brian Bohannon? <laughs> Did he re- unretire from baseball? Yeah, to come Brian back and Bohannon play Bohannon reference. Yeah. <laughs> he came back to play fullback for the Jaguars. And who knew they even had a package for the guy? I mean these are the kind of guys they're going to need on, you know, on Sunday. They're going to need those guys. They're going to need, they're going to need all hands on deck. Somebody's going to have to make a play against the Patriots here. So who knows? Either maybe we've got stars in the making or, or a bunch of guys just waiting to get lit up and sent back to Jacksonville. Like you said, coaching. coaching. They, Coach. The, the Jaguars didn't know they had a play, uh, a package for Tommy Bohannon until they coached it up. <laughs> I think they drew it on right, the hey. sideline. Hey, you, you're on the team. Get over here. You know, guys, and, and he was, he was wide open. Over there. Nobody oh, covered God. him. Uh, so that I mean, was, it looks uh, like it's going to be Fournette blowing up the hole in the middle. And, and he was going to go blow up the hole, and Fournette was going to run him behind him. And there was another Blake Bortles play fake. And then all of a sudden, there's 22 standing all alone in the end zone. So that was the Jaguars all day over the Steelers for the second time this season. And, of course, they're going to go on to play. uh, Did you hear about the bakery in Jacksonville? No. 
true story. There's a bakery in Jacksonville that sent Ben Roethlisberger a box of seven turnovers, one for every oh. one that he had against them this year. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and you could not make – I could not make that up. That's, that's pretty sent awesome. Him a little, little care package of seven turnovers, and that's what they're famous for, and now Roethlisberger is too. So it's not just the Jaguars team that's full of themselves and talking shit. It's it's also the no, entire it's the city of Jacksonville. Too. Yeah, it's the okay. bakeries. This is kind of new. I mean, we haven't seen the Jaguars in the championship game since '96. A long, long that's time. '97. I mean, that was back in their second season when Tom Coughlin took them there. Yeah, the old Keenan McCardell, Jimmy Smith, Mark Brunel Jaguars. Yeah, those were great teams, by the way. Those, I mean, those Jaguars teams were like fourteen and two, twelve and four, like every year. I mean, people forget. People who don't have a point of reference forget. You know, you know any younger folks, the Jaguars used to be good. The Jaguars used to be a major player in their division and in their conference. Well, in their uh, defense, in the defense of people who don't know about the Jaguars and don't respect them. They're kind of doing the Marlins thing from baseball. They're either yeah. really good and in contention or completely suck. And there seems to be no in-between with them. Yeah. We don't get eight and eight, nine and seven Jaguars teams, do we? No, we don't seem to. Seven and nine. Either four we and twelve and or yeah. <laughs> or in the conference finals. They were only ten and six this year, but they're clearly playing their best football right now. And again, how many people put faith in that Buffalo game in wild card round and overlooked the Patriots? I mean, overlooked the Jaguars. The ten and everybody six looked at that AFC game and went ick. Yeah, everybody looked at that game and just went ick. That's yeah. what we're gonna get. And the Jaguars went in there, and it, it's it's so weird with them this year. It's like when they need points. They just need to go out and put up 30 or 40. They somehow find it. They needed every one of them, as it turned out. Uh, they did. The, uh, the way the Steelers came back. But it just felt like there's no there's nothing the Steelers could do to, to completely no. come back. They just, no matter what they did, they were going to give it up on the other end. So it didn't matter. Right. So they so, go on to play the It won't be that easy for them this week. I'll tell you that, though. But this is the game I wanted. They go on to play New England, right? That's right. Uh, that's that Titans Patriots game went pretty much exactly the way everyone thought it would, didn't it? It was the least eventful. Most, it was just the Patriots showed up. They handled their business. The Titans gave it a valiant effort for about quarter and a half and you know god I, it really what would really sort of stunned the patriots awake was the titans going on that long touchdown very impressive touchdown drive and the patriots were like ah, no no we're not going to have any of this anymore and then they showed up up until that point yeah. the patriots you know they, their offense was a little discombobulated their team you know the titans went on that long touchdown drive and totally kept the the patriots on their heels and for that one flicker of a moment they gave everybody that oh wait maybe we're going to get a game and the patriots said no no this is done yeah how good did the titans and, feel after yeah. going up seven nothing huh they're like yeah, yeah. here we go that was, 95 that was seven, yards seven. <laughs> that was seven seven back the other way really quick <laughs> real quick 
Yeah, uh, that that's that's the hey, what happened was uh, after that. <laughs> like, we, we were up seven nothing, and we looked up, and, and next thing we know, you know. Uh, now I will say, uh, not in the defense of the Patriots here, but there was some really again. That was probably the game with the most shoddy officiating. Um, there were some really some some junk calls in that game, and and the biggest one to me ended up actually being the touchdown, the first touchdown. For the Titans, I believe it was the Corey Davis touchdown that he had to catch with one arm because the defender was holding his other one. Yes. Literally, the defender has his arm held. No flag. It wasn't like a declined penalty. No flag. Like if that had fallen incomplete or he hadn't completed the process of the catch, that would have just been an incomplete pass, even though he had one arm basically being held by the defender. And I was like, what's going on here? So I don't know if that jumped out to you at all, but that kind of like raised up the antenna for me. Like what's going on here? That was, that's not even like questionable. The dude had to catch the touchdown with one arm because the other guy was trying to pull him back to him by his arm. If you can't get a call for that, that. you're done. Yeah. So yeah, no, but a great individual effort though, by, uh, by, by, by Davis there. That was a great touchdown catch. That was highlight reel. And he had to catch it with one arm because he had no choice. <laughs> uh, it, I definitely remember that. I don't know how much it stood out because you honestly you kind of see it frequently that they often miss a lot of those calls in the end zone. There's so much action going on that you, you seem to be able to get away with a, a little more in the end zone. And you would think it would be the other way around because if, if everything is concentrated oh, in the end zone and not as spread out, then you should be able to see more things. But no, it seems to go the other way you can you can get away with a lot of stuff it seems in the end zone uh, and then some of the flags that fly in the end zone some of them are like what you you threw a flag for that come are you really are you serious yeah so it's uh, refereeing continues to be a very difficult job and they continue to do a, a pretty on the on the balance to me decent job of it but yes there are some egregious misses out there in, in every game i believe yeah, and there was a there was a punt formation penalty where I believe they completely made up a taunting call. <laughs> Trying to remember out of that thin one. air. Yeah, one of the Titans guys I believe was pointing at the Patriots because the guy was moving. It was a false start, and the guy moved, and the Titans guy jumped up, and he's like pointing at him, and they called him for taunting. Right. <laughs> so it completely gave the Patriots first down on one of their early touchdown drives. You're just like, yeah, I've, that's the worst application of that rule that I've ever seen because people do that all the time when a guy on the other side moves, right? Right. They point at him like, that guy's moving. No, no, taunting. Like, what was he doing? <laughs> I missed that. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and yeah, look at that. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So, yeah, that was, but that was probably that was probably the most suspect game officiating. It wasn't anywhere near as bad as that Chiefs-Titans game. Nowhere near. It didn't make the oh, reference higher. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> right. But yeah, that was uh that was a blur after the the seven nothing just New England. Uh the difference was pretty easy to watch as well. The Patriots actually blocked for Brady the rest of the way and the, the yeah. Titans did not block for Marcus Mariota and that was it. And you you're not going to beat the Patriots if you're not going to block for your quarterback. You're not going to give him a chance to do anything uh in response to everything that that Brady was doing. So yeah, Not that Mariota was going to go toe-to-toe with Brady anyway, but you didn't give, even give him a chance to. 
And you can see the way that the Patriots play. They they play to what they know is Tom Brady's strength, and they play away from his weakness. His weakness is the deep ball and having to hold on to the ball and read these deep routes. He just he just he's not that guy anymore. He was terrible. And I mean, even in the Super Bowl, he was terrible. The biggest play they made in the Super Bowl was a ball that was, should have been picked that ended up getting tipped in the you know the guy's arms just like barely. They I mean basically the defender was an inch too short from picking that ball off, and that was probably that was one of their longest gainers uh, of the day. That was a horribly thrown ball. I mean, basically, basically Brady was throwing the ball right to the defender. The guy was just a little, you know, either off on his jump or a little too short. So what you see are the Patriots, they'll just flood that short middle area and the flats with all these running backs and all these slow white guys, and eventually Brady's just going to make a split-second decision really quick, find the open guy, and that's the sort of the way. And you could just see that they were just, like, dissecting the Titans. They weren't doing anything over over the top, nothing special. They just showed up, put on their surgical gloves, and went to work on Tennessee and did exactly what they thought they would. They slice and dice. That's exactly what yeah. they do. So The Titans uh, just a... don't have the defense that are – they're just not equipped to handle that – much precision and they couldn't disrupt Tom Brady. They had to get pressure. They got none. (laughs) (laughs) What did we say? They had to get pressure on Tom Brady. They did nothing to get pressure on Tom Brady. No, the Patriots blocked it up. They they did what they had to do. They protected their guy. So the The Tennessee up front is not 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 possible for them to get that much pressure on, on somebody who that's how you have to disrupt his game. The two AFC uh, winners from this past weekend were obviously the better team on the field in both of those cases. The two NFC games were games where either any of those four teams at any point could have won those games, uh, throw them all four of them up in the air and and figure out which one hits the ground first. I don't know exactly uh, what to make of them or was there anything special you took away or uh, where the Eagles uh, knock off the, the Falcons, uh, did they look demonstrably like the better team? Maybe I'm seeing it wrong because I thought the Falcons uh, were right there with, with the Eagles and, and easily could have beat them and, and won that game myself. It's ironic that the Falcons win all those games at the goal line on defense this year on on missed field goals, and then when they have the chance to go and win a game, mm. they lose it. At the very end, no, they they unfortunately played into the Eagles game plan for whatever reason. So the Eagles, once again, great coaching. I mean, the whole sort of read option plays with Nick Foles did nothing special, did not. He stayed clean with the football and he just just got the ball down the field enough that they were able to kick enough field goals to win the game. The Eagles defense is really what, what stood out to me. And they, they showed up, they protected the home turf. Um, they, I mean, they, they were as advertised. They held the Falcons down. I mean, if you would have told me the Falcons were going to hold the Eagles to 15, I'd be like, yep, they win. Right. So I am not going to discredit Atlanta's defense at all on this run up to the playoffs. And then this run through the playoffs, there's, if Dan Quinn just keeps getting year, you know, year after year to add pieces and keep growing that defense, that that's going to be you're going to see. I think you're going to see Atlanta sort of morphing into. He's trying to turn them into the Seahawks. He's trying to morph oh, yeah. them into the Seahawks in their prime, and you can see it happening. 
I mean, we, mm-hmm. we talked about a team in Atlanta that was consistently 20s on defense. This year they were top 10 and a very quiet top 10. I mean, if you would just go around and talk to the average football fan, be like, hey, what do you think the Falcons ranked in defense? Ah, 21st. You know, most people would not tell you, you know, 7th or 8th. Right. <laughs> uh, so there, there's definitely good things ahead for them. But it was that what I feared, and it was the whole reason why I was kicking myself for picking them and falling into that trap outdoors, on grass, cold weather. How many times have we seen this, that everything with that team just slows down way too much? And that was the big fear that I had. That's why I thought that that game was going to be so low scoring sort of to begin with. I had like, like it's a 23-17. I think it was going to be quite 15-10. to 10. But I just think that something about those fast-track teams that go outside and get in the cold, they they just don't have the same, you know, motion and speed and every nothing's as crisp and Atlanta just kind of looked just slightly off for that whole game. They could not run the football at all. So that's what they became as a running team. So they took that away and the receivers just weren't it, it just it, nothing really ever looked like it was going right for them and that just turned into a total ball control time of possession type game. And they had those four. They had it right there. They had the four chances at the goal line, and uh, they just they just couldn't quite convert. And we, and and, if, and we finally start. We finally got to play our favorite game in that game of what is a catch. What is a catch? Because we had two catches. I mean, even I was driving home listening to that on the radio. It was so painful because I couldn't see it happening because I was on my way home from work. And even the announcers on the radio after every call were like, I, I just don't know what a catch is anymore. <laughs> you got yeah. me. I mean, even the announcers are just fed up with it. So we got more instances of that again. The ball was maybe moving at the time of the of, – did he survive the process of the ground? And, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it really does make you – Fortunately, it didn't affect the outcome. Fortunately – right. The first one with Sanu, the Falcons were able to convert on a fourth down to Julio Jones. And then the one where Julio Jones looked like it was incomplete, and then they called it complete, but that got the ball down at the two-yard line. I don't know. That's one of those where I'd almost have preferred them to have been back at the nine with a little bit more room to operate. And, you know, Ryan gets to see things. I did not like the play call by the Falcons. I never liked those rollouts where you cut off half the field. You know, I know you want to put the guy in motion because you're worried that that defense is going to come after him because Matt Ryan does tend to take sacks in really bad spots, and he did it a few times in the game. That's his move, so that's why they did it. That's his move, so they know know what his best move is. His best move is to turtle when when things get real real high pressure, but he's also not – he's not a scrambling quarterback. He's not a rollout kind of guy. You saw that. He did not look comfortable on that play. Um, But they rolled him to where – to what you're supposed to do, which is roll them to the yeah. side of the greatest receiver yeah. on his team, one of the greatest receivers in the league, and put it in his hands. And, and that's and I, so I have no problem with the play call from that from that respect. And nine out of ten times, I think that ball, I think Julio pulls that down. That went right through his hands. So I, I really think they actually did the right thing and, and put it in the right player's hands. I'd much rather that than any other, uh, you know, Austin Hooper or uh, Muhammad Sanu or something like that. So uh, I think they did the right thing. It just didn't work out their way because uh, the ball just happened to get through Julio. Julio had a, a tendency to do that this year. He had some 
balls go through his hand. And usually, though, you remember that game in Carolina where the Falcons played like shit and still had a chance to win? Uh, yeah. And Julio was wide open in the end zone and just it just dropped right through his hands. So, and it looked like that know. ball snuck up on him. I don't know if he expected that kind of mustard on on the throw right. from Ryan. And then after Julio fell he down had, and he had just fallen and down, he fell right down and got, yeah. Well, yeah, first you fall down, then you get held back to the ground. That doesn't help either. Right. So when you slip and fall, then the defender runs up and makes sure that you stay there. <laughs> doesn't help. <laughs> so then he gets up, and, yeah, the ball's up, and, he, yeah, he just kind of does – he, he looked, looked like a like a, like a little kid trying to catch it. You know, where you try – you put the hands all the way through it, and it's like the ghost ball, and eh, you know, and it's just like yeah. waving at the air. Like, what yeah. – I didn't get – I didn't get it, but thank God I didn't see it. I didn't see it until replays. Um, oh. I only heard it on the radio. You know, oh, that's where, oh, well, it's incomplete. Well, okay. right. you know, there's the season for them. But again, you know, I've said this for just about every team that's lost. I'll say it for the Titans. I'll say it for, except for Buffalo, because fuck Buffalo. Um, all of these teams, <laughs> the Steelers are tough, but the, the Steelers do have shame in losing. I don't think the Falcons have shame in losing. I think getting back to the playoffs, winning a playoff game, was probably this was more of just like I think a a therapeutic season for that team, you know, breaking that sort of Super Bowl curse, the losers curse, not coming back and going four and four and twelve or five and eleven, and and that that I'll tell you that team does stick together and they've got a lot of heart and a lot of fight, and uh, they made it to the division round, could have won, we very 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 uh, likely could be seeing. It would have been very easy for us to have seen any combination of matchups in the NFC, I think was the point you were trying to make. I think the Falcons showed me a lot in, in that loss. I think uh, uh, very, very many teams uh, facing it, the Eagles defense playing as physically as they were playing would have turtled and would not have even mounted the comeback. Uh, many teams that would have been shut out in the first half like the Falcons were would not have mounted a comeback. Uh, there's a lot of things that went the, the, the Eagles way. This is sour grapes possibly from someone who picked Atlanta. I understand that. We both uh, and, did. And picked, yeah. The, the first of the three uh, matchups between the elite offense and the elite defense where I picked the offense. This might be sour grapes, but fuck, there were a lot of weird, dumb, random luck plays in that game that went in the Eagles. Oh, the, are you talking about the, uh, perhaps the interception off of Keanu Neal's knee? Oh my God just right at the guy and he knees it to the other team. He knees it right into Torrey Smith's arms. Are you kidding? Are you fucking kidding? Uh, even before that, did you realize that the first three running back, uh, first three different running backs that got a touch for the Eagles all fumbled the ball, each one of them. The first three backs that came in the yeah. game, each one of them fumbled the first the first touch that they got. Uh, just the, the, yeah, that luckiest completion ever. Uh those fumbles that could have uh, all went the Falcons' way but didn't. Security uh, was just foreign to, to Philadelphia in the entire first half, and they still came away uh, shutting out the Falcons. Uh, just uh, they, they flubbed a punt as well. Uh, the, they had a muffed punt. Uh, the muffed and, and punt was actually. All of it was canceled out by this one little halftime adjustment that the Eagles had, which was uh, all the run pass options for, for yeah. Nick Foles that uh, he had. He had success because they took the the option of throwing uh, or making decisions out of his hands. He had the run pass option, but the pass was whatever the first read was. And if he didn't have that, 
I'm sure his, uh, uh, the instructions were to just pull it down and, and scramble or something like that because he was just that inside run and then immediately throwing, like just immediately. Right. And that's all he had to do. They didn't give him any other reads other than that because they didn't trust him to do anything other than that. The Falcons did not adjust to it. They did not start dropping guys out more into the flat. Like your defensive ends at that point needed to be more like uh, zone blitz type rushers, you know, where they would fade back into those slant patterns. You had to, they didn't come up with anything. Never stopped. Um, they never stopped it. And they just kept running the same play over and over. Now it only got them field goals because that was only going to get you between the twenties. See that that play was only good enough because once the field started to compress, those lanes weren't there and that exactly. it stopped working and everything stalled. So, you know, I think they're going to need more than field goals to against the Vikings. I'll just say that. Plus that Vikings defense is better than the Falcons defense. Don't know if the offense is better, but the, the defense is better. I mean, we, are we going to end up with a six to three NFC championship game here? I mean, is this what we're looking at? Got two of the toughest defenses in the game going against each other. There's no doubt about that. So, but what Philly's happens? You, you know what happens when we get that, right? We will get a thirty-eight thirty-one game that nobody expects. Of course, everyone's going to pump so defense. <laughs> the Eagles do just barely enough. The defense just does just yeah. barely enough to to pull it out at the end. Um, so then the, the Saints and the and the, well, the Saints and the Vikings take the field, and oh boy. Um, I don't even know where to begin on that one. Uh, there's so much in that game that will never be uh, appreciated or will, will never be remembered because of that one play at the end. Uh, but man, as, t- as tough as the uh, as the Vikings defense is, Drew Brees made the comeback and, and made yeah. made it happen and kept coming back, kept getting. Uh, points for for the Saints and, and made the game winning drive uh, to get the field goal with 20 seconds left, which wins the game you know I, I have no idea what the uh, game percentage was the winning percentage I believe it was 96 <laughs> so there you go 96 out of 100 odds, times that so it was 25 to 1 against basically 96 percent that means the Vikings had a 4 percent 25 to 1 chance to win the game at that point that's usually how it goes when I go betting horses. Is I, I'm I got my favorite yeah. out there and about ready to win the race, and here comes a twenty-five to one shot off the uh, off the outside that beats him at the wires. So that's what happened this time. But uh, Breeze did all he could. Uh, Case Keenum was sharper in the first quarter uh, that led to the seventeen to nothing deficit, but Breeze made the adjustments and, and made the comeback. Uh, but that that last play, that's it. That was the the that was the Saints defense in a nutshell. Make plays and and make things happen. But oh, when you miss the plays, that's exactly what happens when you miss the play that you're supposed to make. Now, I've had enough time to watch that play a lot of times because that you can't get away from it. I've seen that in repeat in in like law in. Uh, looping gif files i mean i have seen that play over and over and over and over i am thoroughly convinced that the defender i forget the kid's name was it marcus williams what was this kid's name that's it okay i thought i was way off (laughs) he was early that my first thing on that play is he was early 
so he was early to Stefan Diggs. You see him consciously avoid him. He did not miss a tackle. He didn't just whiff. He was, he was he trying was to avoid trying, hitting him early so he wouldn't get a flag. Two things he was trying to avoid. One, upending Stefan Diggs, which would have been hit on a defenseless receiver, right? Right. And then the other thing he was trying to avoid was defensive pass interference. So you get defensive pass interference and a personal foul on top of that. I believe those are stacking penalties. Vikings take the field goal win the game. He was early, and I think the, the, the sad part of the play for the Saints was in trying to avoid the contact, he took Ken Crawley out, and basically you end <laughs> up with both defenders getting wiped out by the guy trying to avoid hitting Stephon Diggs. I don't think he would ever admit it, but that's one of those where the rule book worked for the Vikings because the guy was clearly going to hit Stephon Diggs before the ball got there. It, it, you would, it would have been amazing if that would have happened and he would have gone under his legs and hit him and flipped him over and something had happened and the ball's not there yet. There's no way the refs swallow the whistle on that because he's up in the air, he's elevated. It's going to be either a penalty or a catch. And unfortunately, because of him trying to avoid Stephon Diggs, it ended up being a touchdown. He didn't even have to bother trying to attempt a, a field goal. But my, my every time I watch that play, I see a guy who's about to hit the receiver who consciously ducks out of the way, puts his head down and completely moves his arms and everything to avoid the contact. It wasn't like, That's not whiffing on a tackle. That's a guy who's ducking out of the way, trying not to hit the guy early. And just it ends up costing the Saints in the worst possible way. But I saw a guy who was trying to make a play by not making the play, and it just completely backfired. He was trying to avoid contact, and he avoided contact. Nope. Yeah. He wasn't scared. I think he was early. <laughs> okay, you think that all that went through his head. He was trying to, he was early and he was trying to avoid the interference and I, trying to avoid honestly, the, I, the jacking up penalty and hey. It's in these guys' heads now. You got to know it. These defenders now, you know they got to be thinking stuff like, like that. I think ultimately it was possibly more game awareness hurt him. <laughs> I think the, being aware of the situation probably hurt him at that point where if he had just gone and tried to make a play, maybe everything falls in line for the Saints. But he was clearly at Stefan Diggs. If you look at the replays, he is – Ducking out of the way of Stephon Diggs, parallel with him, Stephon Diggs hasn't caught the ball yet. Well, that's your take on it. My take is I think that it's it's a, it's a Saints defender. I think the Saints don't have much discipline. I think they go try to make plays instead of being disciplined. I'm imagining a disciplined safety. You pick your, your choice, your, your name of any real good safeties out there. Uh, they're not going to do that. Whatever they do nope. on that play, they're not going to do that. They're either going to maybe get there a, a hair early and risk the flag. And, and as we've seen with these officials, not every flag that's supposed to get thrown gets thrown. So, uh, Especially late in those games, though. I will give you that. I mean, right. Maybe, Earl Thomas gets there a hair early. They may not throw that flag at all. So That's true. But if that guy gets so. upended and falls over and lands on his head and does a Don Beebe on the field there, that's a flag. <laughs> Uh, perhaps, yeah, probably, but you don't have to upend him. You, if you get there a hair early and you're disciplined, what you do is you find a way to stop yourself to make sure that when the guy comes down, whether he has the ball or not, 
that your head and your shoulder is lined up with his ribs ready to, to drill his ass and, and bend him out of shape. You don't have to knock him head over uh, over tea kettle, but you do have to be able to be there to drill him when he does come down from the stratosphere, which I think a, a discipline safety does. Uh, and, and maybe an, an athletic discipline safety goes up and contests the, the ball all the way up there, which is a hell of an ask. I understand that, but one one of those two options, that third option, which is dive at a ghost and completely miss it, that's not the option that a disciplined player takes. That's not the option that a disciplined team takes, but that's the option that I expect out of the New Orleans Saints. So uh, after I yelled out no when it happened and watched Stephon Diggs run into the end zone, and by the way, give Diggs all the credit for coming down and keeping his balance and keeping his wits about him and putting his hand down and making sure he didn't go down uh, to the ground. Uh, the unbelievable athletic play by him. But I really do think a, a, a more disciplined football player makes some sort of play on the ball outside of dive at a guy that isn't there, which is what Marcus Williams did. And and also I've, I've heard people say that he was trying to dive towards the outside of Diggs on purpose to keep him from going out of bounds with that catch, which would which is the only way that that, uh, that play makes sense because otherwise Man. that's going to be game over. Because if you tackle him inbounds, the game's right. over. There's you know ten seconds when they snap the ball, so there's no way that Diggs can catch that and come down inbounds and be, and get tackled. Uh, they, they would not have they would not have had time to run up and snap the ball. So there's that too that maybe he psyched himself out by by hitting Diggs in a part of the, of going for a part of his body outside where he thought he would knock him down inbounds, and Diggs just happened to not be there. So I'll, I'll give I'll you know I'll give him that too. But again, still, uh, a, a disciplined safety does something on that play other than dive at a guy and and come and completely miss like that. That was just there, there's no excuse that Marcus Williams may never get over that for his entire career, and that's a shame for him because he's a, a good player. He's a real good player. He had a very key uh, interception earlier in that game where Case Keenum just launched one to him uh, under pressure. Yeah. Uh, so, but he's going to be defined by by that play, and and it was uh, as far as I'm concerned, there was no excuse. Now, what I will tell you, I loved on that play was Stephon Diggs giving us the football equivalent of the Jose Bautista bat flip. Oh, he launched his helmet so high he he could have been sued for knocking somebody out. Greatest helmet toss I've ever seen, right there. I don't know where it landed, but uh, I hope everybody covers no themselves up. But the game's over. It's zeros on the clock. Pure adulation. Did you know he get flagged for that, by the way? He got flagged for that. Probably get fined for it. Um, <laughs> it was one of the things that they don't talk about. They were, he said in the postgame, hey, you know, they actually threw a flag. But <laughs> that's great. Yeah, the game's over, everybody. Goodbye. Go home. You know, he could have taken off his helmet and just, like, started bashing people with it. It wouldn't have mattered. The game was over. But just the the joy and the, you know, like, look at me. I mean, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, better than any stupid-ass touchdown dance I saw this year, just the, hey, you know what? We won the game. We stunned the world. I just chucked that, that helmet. God knows where it went. I loved it. Like I said, that's why I gave it the equivalent of the that Jose Bautista bat flip, which I did not find as a show up move. That was a that was an amazing moment when it happened in that playoff game. It was at the that was the Rangers, and mm-hmm. it, it, you know just 
you got to let these guys have that moment. And he had that moment and then made it even better when he went over and stood on the, on the side, on the, like almost on the, the, the high area along the sideline, just with his arms folded, letting everybody take pictures of him. Like, look at That's me. I, yeah, I just did that. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was just posing. I was yeah. just standing there with his dick out. Like, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Look at it. Gaze upon it. Take all the pictures of it. Cause it's mine and it's glorious. Yeah, because I'm the motherfucking man. That's the part that I like. It was fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Saints D did what what they're supposed to do, which is come up short right when they needed it. They started they started oh. a game slow with, with open coverage, busted coverage, penalties, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, and by the time they sort of shored that up and fixed all of that, they they were uh, they left just enough room for that fatal uh, missed tackle or, or yeah. missed coverage or whatever by Marcus Williams. So that that's what was sort of disappointed me or, or made me angry. Is that I think the Saints had the offense to to go a long way to maybe go all the way. I I, I was sort of starting to lean towards them as my Super Bowl favorite, uh, pending the outcome of that game, of course. And that defense winds up blowing it and, and giving it away. But that offense is as balanced as any offense uh, uh, in the field, including the Patriots, uh, because they got the running, they got Breeze, they got even Josh Hill developing as a weapon at tight end. They, they pretty much had everything you could ask for, and, and they found a way to, to lose that game. I was really upset at that. I, I thought the Saints had what it took to maybe go all the way. And, and there's my X-Factor, Willie Sneed, who had a, a – an option throw that was like a yard too long for Alvin Kamara or else they wouldn't even been in that situation. They had a perfect play drawn up a complete surprise. Nobody saw it coming. Just a beautiful design where you got Snead just throwing it across the field and there's nobody over there defending Kamara because nobody expected it. And it was just barely too long and out of his reach. Uh, just it, the whole game, everything about it. If you're a Saints fan, you got to think about, just how close you were, how how tantalizing close it was. And we've made in the past in all these years of picking, we've made choices to for teams to win Super Bowls the next season based off of completely heartbreaking uh eliminations from the playoffs from last year. So if I may go ahead because there's no penalty for for doing it, you know, why not? If I may go ahead and declare the earliest that either one of us has ever declared their Super Bowl pick for the next year, I am saying right now that I'm that I'm picking the New Orleans Saints to win the Super Bowl next year based off of the disappointment of this particular game. And maybe even Marcus Williams will, will make a play and redeem himself. Wow. That, that's bold. That's bold. I mean, we had an entire postseason uh, and playoffs one time where every NFC team – Lost in the worst possible way. Remember that one? Right. Yeah. You never picked any of those. One after the other after the other. The The Lions, the Packers, and the Cowboys, I believe, all. And then the Seahawks lose the Super Bowl. You, I don't think you picked as soon as the game was over on our next show. One of those teams was your. And those teams all lost in just as bad ways as as the Saints did. Saints was bad. I mean, that was that was bad. Um, this was bad, bad and, and I just feel but, like that offense is just set up to to really still have a great run ahead of them. I don't think Drew Brees is done by any stretch. The running game is, is still just getting developed. Camaro was a rookie, of course. 
I just think they got all the pieces in place. All right, so you're drinking the the, the black and gold uh, Kool Aid here, huh? That's right. I'm in the bag for the Saints already. I'm, I'm ready for the down, next season. So we haven't even uh, we haven't crowned this year's champion yet. You change on me when we get to the the preview show. <laughs> hey, I'll be very disappointed. Uh, just remind me. I, I may well forget because I'm old and, and uh, yeah, com- completely have a you'll different. But no, I, I'm. Yeah, we'll I that show make you that. Whole thing. I'm like, Wait a minute. Hold a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Weren't you supposed to have the Saints? You know, but who knows what will happen between now and then, though. I mean, we have no clue. That's true. You've got a Drew feeling might, now. Yeah, Drew Brees, Brees might, might leave. might pull Romo and, and, and break his back in the preseason or something. <laughs> or he might leave. He's a free agent. They they might not re-sign him. Maybe they're in love with if the Taysom, New Orleans Saints let Drew Brees go <laughs> Oh. Is that the, the backup, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Uh, You're just in love with if they go that that's not happening. I I'm that's All even right. more of a percentage than the ninety six percent win yeah. percentage. That Drew Brees is coming back to New Orleans. Okay. He's a free agent. It, just, it could happen. He might not retire a he, So Montana didn't retire a forty nine er. You know, a lot of guys leave. A lot of guys go play out the play out the yarn with another team. I don't have Drew Brees to be, goes uh, to Denver. <laughs> I don't have to be Ian Rappaport to report uh, that Drew Brees is going back to the Saints. Trust me on that. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have a feeling that he'll probably get himself like a two-year deal. He'll be one of the highest-paid guys. He'll retire and say that should happen. He is yeah. that town. I mean, he pretty much made them relevant. Yeah, and him and his wife are extremely deeply uh, embedded in that in that in New Orleans uh, rebuilding yeah. effort and everything like that. Yeah, that he's not going anywhere. All right. So yeah, I'm so glad I did the research and and had those three elite defenses lined I'm up. I'm glad and, and too. Faded every last one of them. Ugh. I mean, I've cut your lead in half. That's all I need. No, we we both had. Uh, New Orleans, so it didn't matter, of course. The but push. for yeah. for gambling purposes, we we do need to laugh what, at the fact that the last well that game uh, had had stuck to five and a half in Vegas. Uh, yes, and totally. so Case Keenum goes out and takes the knee, and and the Saints send out just enough guys yeah, that the Vikings the don't thing. go for the two. I mean, if no, they would have sent nobody out. I was figuring they're just going to line it up and ah, look at me, I'm going to walk into the end zone. We've seen that exactly before. what I thought. Man, we have seen it. We exactly know we've seen it before. Man. That's right. We've seen that screw. Uh, that screwed. I believe it was me famously on one of our picks where a team didn't lost it in the worst possible way. This didn't show up for the two point conversion or the extra point. The other team just went, aha, look at us. They got the cheap two points, but the saints sent enough guys out there. It was ironically, they were led by the punter with the broken ribs. I would have run at him. Busted up. Yeah. They should have just run at him, <laughs> blown him up. They should have snapped the ball to Keenum and whoever was on that line just should have gone and blown up Thomas Morstead. Been like, it was a divisional. <laughs> was a divisional rival. They may have done that. The Panthers may have done that. <laughs> yeah, if they were playing the Bears, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, just just totally I, muscled their way through those poor six guys that ran out there with you know all sad. Oh man, 
I wonder what that conversation <laughs> went like in the locker Mike room, though. Right in Morstead's face, you know? Just like, oh, yeah. And then, just like, and then you got to do, like, the muscle man over him and everything, you know? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. You got to do the whole thing. The punter came out there to block the two-point conversion. <laughs> you do the Hulk Hogan pulls over him with the biceps. <laughs> yeah, brother! <laughs> Oh, I'd, I'd just love to know if there was a conversation in that locker room, in the Saints locker room. Like, did the NFL send some muscle down there? And, all right, guys, you, you got to come out. The line is five and a half. You you have to come defend this. I'm telling you, you have no choice. And I'm sure Sean Payton, that's the last thing he cared about. But, yeah, I was I was shocked to see some, some Saints start to emerge from that locker room to defend that two-point play. Because I figured, like you said, that they're just going to line up against nobody, 11 on zero, and, and go ahead and, and walk it in for two and cover the spread. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, there's no reason for the Saints to send anybody out there to defend that two-point conversion except if the league or somebody came and talked to them and said, hey, hey, we, we got to have some guys out here. We got to. Can't, can't do that. We can't, can't let them go with nobody. We have to have people. That's the only thing that, that, that we'll never know. That's one of those conversations that we'll never know, you know, the, the details of yeah. uh, until some mobster writes a, a tell-all book in, in 2037 oh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out then. So The but only thing I, that could have made this game, the thing that could have made this game more legendary is if we would have differed on that, and that would have been oh. – like a deciding factor, you know, like if that had been five and a hook and I had had the saints and you had the Vikings, I mean, if it would have been one of those situations that would have taken this like were... into the stratosphere for us, that would have become like music city, miracle, legendary. Um, oh. You know, people don't know that was, that's one of those <laughs> moments I shouldn't talk about on this show, but that was one of those where it went path. the wrong way. Yeah. That was a... <laughs> I'm going to my that's grave declaring that that was a forward pass. That's back before we could text. So that was an no, immediate you, phone call. You, I you called, called you and you and... answered the phone. You didn't even say hello. You just went, that was a forward pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hadn't declared it yet. They were still reviewing it. And I picked it up and I said something along the lines of, that's not going to count because that was a forward pass. Just like that. Just deadpan. Just like that. Because I believe it was a forward pass. And after about 45 minutes of reviewing, they declared that it was a lateral and it was a touchdown. And I just, I, I was, I, I still wasn't believing. I was still denying it. Like that, that can't be. It was, it was a, it was a forward pass. Well, I believe that was the first time you ever had to use whiteout on a pick. If it wasn't that, it was the one that we just talked about, where the team uh, went 11 on nothing for the oh. two-point conversion. I had to white that that thing out. I definitely remember doing that. Uh, yeah, what a what a what a weekend of of football and crazy calls, and we have two picks to make for for tomorrow for Championship Sunday. I know it's absolutely crazy. So you uh, you get the honors here. I mean, I'll still I won't just have you pick both games and then I'll say nothing. So I'll I'll have you make your pick. I'll say what I have to say. We'll make our picks. I would assume like normal, and if we disagree, we disagree. Um, I don't. I don't know how much because I don't want to. I don't know if we're gonna end up. You know, remember the year that I had to only disagree with you on one game, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do it on both," even though that could yeah. hurt me. And you won both. And and I won both. <laughs> so unless I am like super confident 
I don't know if that's going to happen. Was, I still ended up losing in the Super Bowl because you made the right pick. But all I had right. to do was beat you on one pick. And I was like, your picks suck so hard for these <laughs> conference championships that I am just going to put it all on the line and disagree with you on both and won both. And it was absolutely stunning. At that point, it felt like I was just destined that you were going to screw up your Super Bowl, but you got it right. So, but it was still, that was one of those moments I'll never forget. That was on the show um, mm-hmm. a few years ago that, yeah, I was, I had the same exact situation that I was in where I really only need you to lose one pick. And I was like, screw it. Your, your picks are just terrible. You're losing both. And I was right. And I, I I was stunned, and it worked out. I think that would have been the – I believe that was the year of the New England-Seattle Super Bowl. Oh, leading into the game that I should have lost. Right. Uh, so it was all – I think that would have been the year because it was all right there for me, and I would have had the st- everything. It was all perfect. I was a stunning comeback, and, and, and I had the win right in my hands. And then Russell Wilson's wrote it. Yeah. So we know how that ended, but I am not in a situation that I needed to disagree with you on both games. Actually, if I did disagree with you on both games and get them right, I would have the lead. Yeah. As stunning as that sounds. Um, But if we were to split the games, then I would lose because you're six points ahead of me. That's right. So, so I will. I'll let you make your picks first uh, this week. I'll give you that honor, and if you just make one that just I'm just like, nah, screw it. I'm just gonna disagree with you right here. I'll go ahead and and, and do that right away. But I'll let you go first this week. You have the honor, sir. Either way, the the comeback from as far down as I was trying to bury you uh, early in the season to even be here. This is basically what I was afraid of the entire time. Was I, I got this big lead? I, I can't blow it. I just I, I got to just. Hang on, I can't blow the whole thing. And sure enough, here I am on the verge of blowing the whole thing. So uh, even, even if you fall short, it's been a, an incredible comeback and, and making it a very compelling uh, conference finals and, and potentially a, a Super Bowl. So I, I good, will good job say out of you. Three or, I will say three or four, four weeks into the year, I did not think I'd make it to the conference championships <laughs> still in contention at all. I mean, I thought – we were going to have a year where like the second year ever where the playoffs wouldn't matter. That's how bad it was. When I'm sitting 250 uh, percentage points behind you, I'm like, yeah. Oh my, what is he doing to me? But here we are. It always works out this way though. It always works out this way. Yeah. But I was really hoping it wouldn't work out this way uh, for, for this year. Cause I, I was ahead by so much. Um, so first, I have to ask: uh, am, am I breaking up a little, a lot, not at all? It's not I don't, at all. Uh, this has been the really? best audio on this show that we have had in ages. Well, I guess I we have to give props to Blog Talk Radio for that because I'm, the only thing I've done different is the suggestion that they sent me, which is to plug in my microphone before I open the web browser, and that's all. I've, that's the only thing different that I've done. I've got the same browser that I always use. I've got the maybe a maybe not as many tabs open as, as normal. Maybe that makes a difference. But Less porn I only have, in the background. That usually exactly. helps. I only I only have three or four tabs going normally. Now I have two. So I don't I can't imagine that makes a big difference. But anyway. Um so yeah I, I, if I was still breaking up a little I'd I'd switch to the phones. I don't want to 
say all the stuff that I got to say, you know, most of it is, is garbage anyway, but I, I don't want to have it be chopping up because that's just, there's no point in it. You can't hear 50% of what I'm saying. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, so no, I'm, I'm thrilled that I, I get to use the microphone that my wife bought me and, and sound as, as good as I can sound and uh, nothing's breaking up. So that's, that's awesome. That's, that's very good news to hear. Uh, before I make my picks, uh, quickly to the plugs, blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. That's where you are listening to us live. To listen to us as a podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and, and subscribe to the show. Just search for in much less detail, the podcast. Or if you don't want to go through Apple, you can go through many different podcasting apps on many different devices. Uh, just search for in much less detail, the podcast. That's the title. And just subscribe, and every new show that we do will come down to you as soon as it is finished uploading. Uh, you can email the show with any questions or comments. You send that to in much less detail at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at IMLDDre. You can follow Jason on Twitter at IMLDJTG. Uh, you can follow our picks on our blog, and the blog site is in much less detail.blogspot.com. And I think with that, it is time to make our picks for the conference finals. You will not be going against me on both games because one pick that I know you're in love with, I'm going to wind up taking that pick and making you have to decide somewhere else. So I know you're not going to go against me on both. The other you game, I don't know. Fucker. Yeah, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what exactly – I'm going to do what I should have done last week thanks to my fucking research that I did and I ignored anyway. That's all I'm doing, really. It's not so much to fuck you over. It's to actually go through what I looked up and try to figure out on my own and then ignored last week. I'm not going to ignore it this week, especially with some of the uh, injury news that's been coming out. So that's the very first pick that we'll be getting to. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the New England Patriots wither the hand of Tom Brady. Tom Thumb uh, is not just a cartoon character. It's also the biggest storyline of this weekend uh, because Tom Brady got his thumb uh, opened up and has needed stitches. Uh, he got it opened up in practice, and he's been wearing gloves around, and uh, it's been a big, big mystery as to how he's been feeling. But the uh, most recent thing I read today was that he looked amazing in practice uh, yesterday. So apparently it's all systems go for Tom Brady. Uh, against the Jaguars. The problem for Brady is that he's still facing the Jaguars, which appear to be the team lined up that we talked about and worried about and feared for the Patriots' sake, might be the team best equipped to go and knock off the Patriots. All these teams that have gone up to New England over the years and tried to beat them, the one team that's had sustained success that has given the Patriots a run for their money every time they go up there in the playoffs has been the Baltimore Ravens and their model has been to just play tight pass defense to, to play tight coverage man coverage mostly and just rush the passer uh, without trying to blitz guys and without uh, compromising their coverage and just beating Tom Brady about the face and head and trying to just sort of beat him in the submission. And many teams have come and tried to do that to him and have been uh, not so successful. But the Jaguars, uh, they might be the team set up to go in and have some success. This spread was as high as nine or so. 
when this matchup first came about last week after the Jaguars beat the Steelers. And it's come down quite a bit. Uh, the one, the, the line that I got from our normal source would just be free handicapping contest over at covers.com. Uh, at the moment, they have uh, the Jaguars as seven and a half point underdogs at the Patriots. And I think the spread may have come down uh, due to sharp action, even without the, new, the news about Tom Brady's hand. And maybe, maybe it didn't, wouldn't have come this far down. Maybe it would have been still around eight, eight and a half or something like that. But I think the money was going to go on the Jaguars anyway all week long because of the fact that the Jaguars, like I said, are the defense that's set up to give the Patriots the best run for their money. As we talked about, the Jaguars don't have to blitz guys. They can send four and and try to beat Tom Brady up that way. And they've got seven guys waiting back there to cover. There's not just seven guys. It's seven really talented, really young guys, really fast. Uh, just a, an incredible defense that the Jaguars have put together. Uh, not all of a sudden, but it has come together pretty quickly. Uh, they're, all, they're, they're very young. They still uh, got a ways to go to, to maybe get to, to where they want to be. They might even be better as the years go on, as they, as they get a little more seasoning. The number one thing that concerns me about the potential Brady thumb injury, and, and if you want to downplay it completely and say it's nothing, you can do that. Fact is, we don't know because they're not telling us anything. We have no idea. If there's something to the thumb and if there's something to his accuracy or distance being compromised, the very first thing that makes me think of is Brady can't get the ball out to Rob Gronkowski past like 10 yards, which isn't a lot of distance, but you can't be throwing five-yard check downs to everybody and, and try to win games that way, especially against the Jaguars. Even if, if Watch for this from the very first series. If Brady can't get the ball out to Gronkowski past 10 yards with, with accuracy or with any kind of zip, if it's floating up there for a defender to go run over and try to make the play, it's over. It's done. The, the Jaguars will win straight up. That's the one thing that Brady has to be able to do, and that's something that we have no idea if he'll be able to do until tomorrow when the game starts. So there you go. There's, there's no other way to get around it. We just don't know. Uh, it feels like it's going to be even before the thumb injury, but maybe especially because of it, it felt like this was going to be a very run-heavy, screen-heavy New England game plan uh, just because of the matchup, just because you, you don't want the Jaguars to, to have a whole lot of time to get upfield and try to, to kill Tom Brady. You don't want a, a bunch of long dropbacks. And the Patriots don't really do that anyway, but uh, it felt like especially uh, this was going to be – a lot of James White, a lot of Deion Lewis, a lot of Rex Burkhead, uh, maybe not so much Rex Burkhead since he's the guy apparently that injured Tom Brady in practice. So maybe he's going to get a, a little downgrading, but uh, it felt like this is what the Patriots are going to do anyway. It's a lot more running than, than you might think. Uh, of course, the Jaguars' big question is, will Nate Hackett have a new gimmick after all the play action uh, stuff against Pittsburgh? Uh, just play action and fire, just one stop, one step, play action, and fire the ball for Blake Bortles, trying to cut down on him making mistakes because, as we've seen, the more Blake Bortles tries to play quarterback, the worse he looks because he's just not very good at it. So, uh, of course, every, t every team tries to come up with a new game plan for their opponent, you would think. 
based on their opponent's weaknesses. We'll see what Nate Hackett comes up with for the Jaguars tomorrow. Uh, Leonard Fournette uh, played very well in the first half against the Steelers. Then he got hurt, and he wasn't nearly as effective in the second half, and, and that could have been fatal for the Jaguars. It could have uh, allowed the comeback all the way if they didn't come up with a couple more wrinkles, if they didn't find a Tommy Bohannon in their trick bag. Uh, so if Leonard Fournette isn't right, if he's not up to par, uh, can Jacksonville's offense sort of out-scheme the New England defense, uh, which they might have to do. If they can't sledgehammer at home with Fournette, they might have to come up with, with enough schemes to get the job done. Uh, I don't know what to make of the Jaguars' uh, sort of wildly disparate three-point victories in the playoffs, because think about how they beat the Buffalo Bills by three points and think about how they just beat the Steelers last week by three points. Two completely different games, completely different game plans, completely different executions. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it. They can play defense when they need to, obviously. And they did it, obviously, the whole game against Buffalo, and they did it for most of the game against the Steelers. But it's hard to ignore all the, the, the yardage and the points that they gave up to the Steelers uh, it wasn't garbage time. The Steelers were still trying to hang around in that game. So uh, will the Patriots be able to do that if they have to? If they have to come back on the Jaguars, will they do uh, what, what what the Steelers did last week? Uh, Jacksonville covers the field in every phase of their defense. And that's what I was talking about earlier with Miles Jack making that interception. That's what uh, stood out to me. <coughs> Excuse me is the, uh, the the defensive line getting after the quarterback, the coverage of the of the cornerbacks and the safeties. So then you go, well, let's try to go over the middle into the sideline. And there's Miles Jack making an unbelievable play and getting an interception. And it's like, what? where are you going to go? What are you going to do against the Jaguars' defense? It's really hard to find a, a hole uh, in that defense. So in that in mind, the matchups are Jacksonville's uneven but uh, potent run game. You don't know what you're going to get from Fournette, and, and they've done well with his uh, his backups, but they really would love to to lean on Fournette. Against New England's uh, uneven but potentially uh, up for the challenge run defense because they had been struggling all year, but uh, made some gains against uh, the Titans and made sure that uh, Derrick Henry didn't get off and, and do what he was capable of doing. So they knew what was going to happen uh, in that game against the Titans, they knew Derrick Henry was going to come for him, and they were there. They were up for that challenge, and they made sure that he didn't get the big yardage that uh, that he needed. In the air, it's going to be Jacksonville's completely hit-or-miss pass game because Blake Bortles, at this point, you really don't know what he's going to do. He, he he looks like last week that if you give him the right game plan, he can execute and, and really uh, have a big game for you, or he can completely go down the tubes. Uh, versus New England's improved, but also uh, in, inconsistent uh, pass defense. And we, we've seen that they got embarrassed uh, earlier in the year at times, but they've improved. They, they've gotten better. So uh, we'll see which New England pass D comes out uh, tomorrow. Uh, New England's steady uh, run attack, unspectacular maybe, but uh, you know what you're going to get with uh, Deion Lewis and company. Against Jacksonville's athletic but over-pursuing run D, and that's going to be a key, is will they 
find some discipline uh, of uh, on their run defense. They'd like to really rush up field, but sometimes they forget about the running back. And I think that might be the biggest hole in the Jacksonville defense right now is their run defense, uh, just because they're so young and so gung-ho that sometimes they, they get a little uh, out of their gaps. And then uh, New England's, of course, uh, precision pass game. We talked about how they slice and dice and just surgically cut up the Titans like they seem to do to everybody, but uh, they they may lack a long ball because of Brady's thumb injury tomorrow, so uh, we have to wait and see how that plays out. Versus Jacksonville's, of course, uh, no blitz cover everybody pass defense, the best pass D that the Patriots are going to see all year. That elite pass offense versus elite pass defense uh, that I talked about has been going in the defense's favor lately. That's been the trend, and, and and I should have went with uh, that matchup last week, but I didn't several times, but uh, I'm not going to let it slip through my hands this time. Uh, and I also want to think about the last time that the Jaguars defense got carved up by anybody uh, before what Ben Roethlisberger did sort of in comeback mode last week. And that, of course, would be week, uh, week 16 against the former Patriot, Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. And how did Jimmy Garoppolo beat the Jacksonville Jaguars? Oh, lots of short passes underneath, lots of dinks and dunks and moving the ball upfield by getting his guy the ball in space, whoever his guy might be. Uh, just dink, dunk, dink, dunk. Oh, here's a long ball. Here's our here's our shot at a long pass to Kyle Juszczyk for 44 yards. And then right back to dink, dunk, dink, dunk. Boy, does that look familiar, huh? So I, I tell you what, the Patriots are the team that can overcome the Jaguars' defense and figure out a way to beat them, but I'm certainly not going to pick them to do it by – it would be sort of more than two scores. I know eight points, uh, you, you're splitting hairs if that's more than two scores, but uh, seven points won't get it done. That will not cover. And so I, I think I'm going to take the Jaguars and the points – I think New England has been around the block enough to figure out how to win this game over a team that is not quite there yet. They're, they don't have the experience to, I think, pull out the type of game that this is going to be. But it, it will be low scoring. It will be a, a bit of a taffy pull. But I think New England's going to win, but Jacksonville to cover. I'll take the Patriots 19-17. to 17. Well, I will temporarily concur on this pick with you waiting for the outcome of the other game. See how I'm feeling after you make that pick. But yeah, I, I see this going very similarly to you. I'm not sure that the Jaguars have, like you said, they don't have the experience to withstand a full, full quarter game from, from new England. Cause we know the Patriots are going to play through the whole game. They may look bad through stretches of that game, but they do tend to shine late. Uh, we've talked about all year how this team, the Patriots, has not looked very impressive all year, but then when you look up, they've still somehow found a way to not only beat their opponent, but in a lot of cases cover massive spreads. And that's the one thing that gives me some pause here and in, in, in for the moment agreeing with you about Jacksonville is that the Jaguars could hold the Patriots down for what looks like the entirety of three and a half quarters and then the Patriots somehow sneak out a touchdown and a field goal and they end up winning the game by 10. And, you know, a game that looked close or 
competitive or maybe even going to go Jacksonville's way suddenly has slipped away just because the New England has all the grit and guile and experience that, that can, can have them overcome a team like Jacksonville. If the Jaguars are going to cover this number, I would prefer that they just win the damn game. Just if you're going to cover, please just win and just get, get the Patriots. I want to see something different. I'm tired of the Patriots. I, I just don't want to see this anymore. I want to see something new. I'm not sure that the average football fan wants to see the Jaguars in the Super Bowl. But if they do go into New England and put on the kind of defensive effort I think that they're capable of, I think that goes a long way towards making them relevant going into a Super Bowl by dethroning the champs. Doing it's a different story. And I completely agree. We've been we've been talking about this as a potential matchup for a long time as sort of a dream matchup as I wanted to see Jacksonville play New England because I fully believe that this is the team that can give them the biggest run for their money because they do have all the components that you need in order to mess up Tom Brady's game. They can get quick pressure, pressure with just four guys. They can get up in the face, and they're good at the linebacker and at the defensive back level. You do point out the game that they played against San Francisco, and that does give me a little concern for Jacksonville because what that proved is that this young defense, this sort of swaggering defense and cocky defense can get overconfident, maybe frustrated a little easily with the little dink and doink game where they're waiting for the big play. The pressure's not quite getting home. Guys are slipping underneath. Guys are getting out into their pass routes, and the Patriots aren't doing anything spectacular, but they don't do anything spectacular anyways. And they just sort of move that ball real methodically, very surgically, kind of like they did against the Titans. Although we both agree that this Titans the Titans defense does not even hold a candle or begin to hold one to what Jacksonville is capable of doing. It'll be Everyone's going to be watching Tom Brady right away. If his thumb is hurt, and it's hurt to any any major degree, and he is having trouble with deep balls. That's one thing. If he's unable to go under center and and take that direct snap, and he's in shotgun for the for the vast majority of the game, and he's not able to go under center, that actually takes away one of the Patriots' best plays, which is the Tom Brady sneak. <laughs> so I don't know how many times you're going to want to put Tom Brady in, in fourth and a foot, and you know have Bill Belichick. And Josh McDaniels start getting a little uh, enterprising with Tom Brady and have him trying to take that snap and then running his head up in there. Knowing that the thumb is now going to be the biggest target out on the field, I have a feeling we might see that pass defense or that pass rush sort of almost mimic what the Broncos did against Cam Newton, where they're not necessarily going for sacks. They're just taking a lot of swipes at his arm. Uh, what you what you saw, I mean, obviously they were doing it to a mobile quarterback trying to get him off of his spot, but I have a feeling you're going to see a lot of guys trying to jam footballs into Tom Brady's hand and taking swipes at that arm if he's going and he's dropping back. You might see the guy taking a little bit longer route to the quarterback in order to get that little karate chop move in on the hand and sort of test him out because in football, they are not forgiving when it comes to guys and injuries. You make an injury like that that well-known, you're going to have uh, Kelly Campbell or somebody coming around that edge trying to test that pretty easy. Somebody does get their uh, grip on Tom Brady, and he's going into the ground. He puts that he puts that hand out, tries to spare himself from hitting the turf too hard. Um, boy, he re-injures that thing, or 
he gets knocked out of the game because of it. I'd almost find that sad because what I then would be fearful of hearing is, well, you know, the Patriots only lost because Jacksonville and Tom Brady had a, had a hurt hand. It almost feels like they're building in an excuse in advance of this game because of how tough that Jacksonville defense is that we will, we got to have Tom Brady be hurt because if he goes out and he plays terrible, because we know he's been going out and playing fairly terrible in the winter, the last four or five seasons, uh, you know, even going into the Super Bowl, even with that miraculous comeback, he played for the majority of three quarters of that game. He played like total ass. You know, we, we want to make sure that Tom Brady's covered. So let's make this, you know, let's have him go into all of his conferences with meetings and come on. Uh, if the Patriots do lose, I would be willing to take odds. I don't know if I can bet on this in Vegas, what the odds are that Rex Burkhead gets cut unceremoniously after the game if he truly was the guy that, that ran into and collided with Brady and, and busted open his hands. So he'll be I disappeared. Think yeah, <laughs> he'll, he'll end up in Effingham on a bus somewhere. <laughs> And there goes there goes Rex Burkhead, never to be seen again. Just, just poof, he's gone. Um, so there's yeah, so there's a lot of interesting. No oh, man, there's a lot of interesting matchups in this game. But I think the biggest obvious one is going to be the Patriots' offense against the Jacksonville defense. If they can shut down that offense or make it off timing enough, I don't think the Jaguars can win this game. In a blowout fashion, I think the only way they can win this game is to hang on for dear life and win the game. But I'm fearful that if that's the case and the game is close, you're going to have the Patriots winning the game. The number is huge. I will give you that. But I do think that the Jaguars' defense is good enough to force the Patriots into some field goals, keep it a little bit more low scoring. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take uh, the Patriots for the moment. With the score, twenty sixteen. We both got the Patriots winning and the Jags to cover. How about that? Well, we can't really say we're getting cute. That's a big number. For yeah, now. No, no doubt. Right, but you're, 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 you have the option, of course, to change that later on. Right. Jacksonville. Who's, who's your X factor for this serving me well. Well, Jacksonville served me well last week, and I think you just picked Jacksonville strategically here. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I can't kiss and tell. I can't give away my secrets. Yeah, I have a feeling that you're just going, you know what? He really fucked me with those guys last week. So I'm going to take him. I'm going <laughs> to dare him to pick the other game right or take the Patriots and make a deal with the devil. Um, I'm a little worried about this Patriots passing game. So we're going to find out right away if this was just all a bunch of just Bill Belichick, you know, chicanery and, and Tom Brady's out there firing deep balls. If that's the case, I'm looking for recent acquisition, Kenny Britt, big, fast target. Every Nope. Totally overlooked by everybody ends up being sort of the fifth wide receiver for the Patriots. Uh, they go into some five wides or empty backfield sets early in that game. That also tells me that they're not as worried about the Tom Brady injury. And I think that they're going to try to match him up against a superior secondary. Nobody's five deep. I'm looking for some possible big impact plays from Kenny Britt. Cause the Patriots just do that, by the way, they just find dudes in big games <laughs> to make big plays. And then they just disappear after that. 
So, or or they show up late to practice and then they cut them after they run for two hundred yards. That's that's happened too. So I'm looking for Kenny Britt to have a possible impact in the passing game here for the Patriots. You remember Michael Floyd? Uh, they picked up uh, randomly. Oh, you know last they year. just do this. They're just Malcolm Mitchell. I mean, they all come on. James Harrison is there right now, ready to make an impact play oh, right now. Are you, are you picking James Harrison as your X factor? I probably should have, but I wasn't that bright. No. Okay. Um, did you see some of Belichick's comments leading up to the, when they asked him about Brady in the hand? He is such a douche. He's, <laughs> he is so good at saying nothing. One guy asked yeah. him, "Does it is it is it looking like Brady is going to be a game time decision for Sunday?" And Belichick looks him dead in the eye and goes, "It's Friday." <laughs> what the question, me a jackass? Ask, ask me a game time. Right. Then it's, then it's, when I won't then be it's a game time decision. That's right. God, he's fabulous. He's a fabulous asshole. That, that's that's all that is. That whole organization. Uh, no, my X factor is uh, a, a guy that's addicted to uh, uh, making plays on the ball all year, which is uh, Telvin Smith, the linebacker for the Jaguars. Uh, this guy, he's he's been there four years. He's been their top tackler for. All, the, all that time, he had 76 solo tackles this year. Uh, what happened is they let him get a little more with the talent that, uh, that got infused around that defense. They let Telvin Smith be a little more uh, aggressive and try to make some plays in the passing game and coverage. So he wound up with uh, five passes defense this year, three interceptions, including one for a touchdown. But uh, – the problem with that is that he's not exactly a, a great coverage guy. He just happened to have the freedom to go make some more plays because of all the guys that's around him. And I was reading on NFL.com about what happens when you have to rely on Delvin Smith and, and have, you know, when you have a, a situation where there's just passes, 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 which is what the Steelers are doing last week in, come, in <clears throat> excuse me, in comeback mode. And Telvin Smith was targeted by Ben Roethlisberger uh, on 13 targets last week, and he gave up 12 catches on those 13 targets. So what I'm thinking is that the Patriots are are smart enough, and and boy wonder Josh McDaniels will probably try as hard as they can to get him, Telvin Smith, matched up with Rob Gronkowski one-on-one. Because if you look at the other two linebackers, you, you don't want Miles Jack matched up on him because he might actually uh, make some plays. And I don't even think you want Paul Puzlesny matched up on Gronk if you're New England because he's smart enough to just sort of obstruct and get in the way. I think if you can get Telvin Smith matched up in pass coverage uh, on Gronk, that's what you want. So that's uh, what I'll look uh, look out for tomorrow to see how many times they try to do that. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting, uh, interesting pick there. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see you know, that the Jaguars would try to get a safety or a corner. I mean, my God, Gronkowski is the best guy out there. Just put freaking Jalen Ramsey on him. Just take they him away. They may well do that. <laughs> they may well have to do the Jaguar, that. The Jaguars are going to have to come up with something to make that Tom Brady just hasn't seen. And that's the thing. Tom Brady has just been around so long. He's just seen everything. You have to make him think. Because right now everything for him is just natural. If you actually make him stop and look at something and go, huh, oh, sacked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> boom, make him think, 
show him looks. I mean, uh, teams, when I was watching a lot of interviews and they were talking about this before the Titans game, things that the Titans needed to do is not give the look to Brady with enough time that he can get out of that play and into the right play. You have to look base. You have to look simple or you have to show him the look that's really not the look. And it's all, and then a lot of these NFL guys, a lot of these you know guys who know a lot more about football than we do are like, that's not as easy as it sounds. Because oh, that's no, why they not. use so much motion, and 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 mm-hmm. they're trying, you know, they're trying to get as much information from that defense as possible. The fortunate thing for the Jaguars is they can come out and look base the whole game, and pretty much play straight up the whole right. game. Right, and they can play straight up. That's and those are always the teams that give the Patriots the most fits, or the teams that can run out their base defense, the Ravens, the Giants. And the Broncos, the teams that have given them the most fits defensively, can just run out there and play base defense the whole game. And then you can change up all of your looks within that base defense. So if the Jaguars can do it, I give them all the credit in the world. I'll be pulling for them, but we'll see. Listen to us talking football as if we know something. (laughs) Yeah, we've been doing this a while. We're experts. We've been told that on this very show, not by us. That's right. We've been anointed. All right, this brings us to the NFC title game in which Jason will now have to make the decision to flip on that or flop on the first game or flip on both of them because he's done that before. Uh, This one's definitely going to be a lot tighter as far as I'm concerned. This is the one that I had no idea which way I was going to go going into tonight, so I had to really get into my little numbers and break things down. It's the Eagles hosting the Vikings, but the Eagles for the second week in a row, despite being the home team and the number one seed in the NFC, are the underdogs, and they are really embracing that underdog role. There's dog mass being given out all around Philadelphia, apparently. Uh, so the two 13-3 top two seeds in the NFC will go one-on-one, but the Vikings are the favorites. They are giving a field goal uh, at Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, I really didn't know which way I was going to go. It's obviously going to be two hard-nosed, smash-mouth defenses going against each other, taking on what amounts to two backup quarterbacks uh, in the scheme of things. Neither one of these guys were the starters when the season started, of course. So Case Keenum and Nick Foles, you know, the spotlight's on you. This is your show now. We'll see which one of them is able to, to bring it home and, and get to the Super Bowl. Stiff, brutal D versus stiff, brutal D. Neither one of them uh, are, are – here's the key to both of those defenses, too. Neither one of them are out of place uh, like the like the Saints were last week, like Marcus Williams. Neither one of these uh, teams have guys that are running around uh, with their hair on fire uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. <clears throat> uh, they're, they're not undisciplined. They're where they're supposed to be, and they're very, very tough, and they're very physical. And so it should make for a, a – physical low-scoring game, but as we sort of joked about earlier, usually when we think it's going to predict something like that, it winds up being a shootout uh, in 28-28 in the fourth quarter. So uh, I, I, I like the under, but hey, we, we've seen it go the other way uh, many times before. Uh, similar to Blake Bortles getting the, the, the coaching up from Nate Hackett last week for the Jaguars, Nick Foles uh, will have to have his coaches gimmick things up for him again for him to have success. I think that's pretty obvious. Whatever you think of Nick Foles, it's obvious that when you leave him to his own devices, he's not very good. And 
the, the Eagles want to do as much as they can to not leave it in Nick Foles' hands and to not give him any options, to, to not give him any reads, to make sure that he's not looking around for second, third, fourth options and trying to make a decision because that's when disaster seems to strike uh, in, the, in the career of Nick Foles. I, I think they've identified that. Uh, Minnesota, on the other hand, didn't protect Case Keenum all that well last week against uh, the Saints. And Keenum made some unbelievable plays despite that. Uh, the, the Vikings came back and won the game despite the coverage, not because of it. Now here comes Philadelphia and, and the way they can rush the passer. So that might be job one for the Vikings is to protect better for Case Keenum and make sure that he's not getting bounced around in the pocket back there. Uh, but that's not going to be easy. The Eagles led the league in pressures with 287 of them, 238 hurries, 40.8% uh, of their snaps. They they got pressures. That was tops in the league. And, you know, what that reminded me of was the Atlanta Falcons last year. You As, as a defense that you sort of didn't think that much of, and Jason alluded to it a little bit earlier, as you – you're like, well, they're okay. They're pretty good. They rank where? What? Uh, that's what the Falcons were last year. They were at the top of the league in hurries. And next thing you know, they're in the Super Bowl. This kind of reminds me of that, that the Eagles, I think people gave the Eagles the respect as as, their de as the defense, as the top defense, but not that top, not that high. I, I think people would be surprised to hear that the Eagles led the league in, in, in quarterback hurries. Uh but they're right there. They, they're so deep. They're so talented. They're, they're so uh, knowledgeable and veteran. There's got Chris Long is running around back there, still making plays, still pressuring the quarterback. We saw Fletcher Cox uh, last week and, and just living in the backfield. Uh, they got so many guys that, that, that are able to rotate in and, and create pressure, create opportunities uh, for their defenses. And maybe even more key last week was the nice outing by the Philadelphia offensive line. I was very pleasantly surprised at that. I, I talked about how Vitae, the guy who with the first name that I don't even want to try to pronounce, I might sprain my tongue, uh, playing left tackle uh, in place of Jason Peters. I talked about how if uh, Adrian Claiborne couldn't take him down and make love to him all night, that it might be a long day for the Falcons. And sure enough, Claiborne was not able to to do much uh, to make pressure for the Falcons. Vitae had a really good game. The rest of the, the old line had a really good game. Uh, so good job out of them to, to protect Nick Foles and allow him to have those run pass options. Now, Vitae is actually going to be tasked with maybe an even better pass rusher this week, now you got to go get Everton Griffin, who might have the best get off in the entire league. He is, and he, he that was on display uh, for for the Vikings last week. My God, does he get off that that snap as soon as that ball is snapped? It looks like a hair early sometimes, but he doesn't get flagged for it. He's got that timing down just right, just perfectly. So that will be definitely a matchup uh, to watch. Uh, I think mentally this game is going to be. Uh, where it's won or lost because on both sides, both teams have a, uh, have a claim to be the charm team. Both teams can say, Hey, this is our year. We're not supposed to be here, but here we are. And, and now we can, we're just going to go to the moon. We, that nobody can stop us now. The, the Vikings obviously 
you can say that they're charmed after coming back and winning that game the way that they won. They came back from the dead, uh, but I guess a case could be made that they might be doomed because teams like that, sometimes they, they don't go all the way. Sometimes they know that they're lucky to be there, and, and they sort of get this feeling like, well, if it starts going bad against us, we know we really weren't supposed to be here anyway, so we're just going to sort of let it go. It depends on the character of the team. And the Vikings have a, a very good character, it would seem, so they shouldn't be uh, a team that falters and goes away, but uh, time will tell on that. And the Eagles, of course, don't forget, they very easily could have lost that game on the last throw by Drew Brees, uh, or uh, not Drew, but, but Matt Ryan to Julio Jones. Uh, they very easily could have lost that. Julio makes that that catch a lot of times. That ball went right through his hands. The Eagles can say that they're charmed and they're not supposed to be here. They can say, hey, our star quarterback got hurt and we're not supposed to be here behind Nick Foles, but here we are. And are they charmed or doomed? Uh, whichever team sort of gets it in their head that they're the team that deserves to go all the way, that's the team that's going to wind up winning. It, I really, They're so evenly matched. I really do think it's going to be sort of a battle of, of wills and, and mentally which team is going to be tougher. Uh, I saw something on NFL.com that I, that I found interesting. It says Stephon Diggs will match up with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles' weakest link at cornerback Jalen Mills. It says Jalen Mills allowed over 90 uh, in passer rating, and he allowed nine passing touchdowns this year, and I wasn't aware of how bad he had been all year so he's really been covered up and protected by the, the way the rest of the, of the of the Philadelphia defense have been playing but Stephon Diggs as he showed last week he can make a play anywhere on the field against anybody so if they really can protect Case Keenum then that should be a matchup where uh, Stephon Diggs goes crazy all night on Jalen Mills so that's definitely something to watch for. On to the matchups for the game the Vikings Productive but not explosive run game. You, you kind of wait for if Latavius Murray and, and uh, Jarek McKinnon can find those holes and really explode through the defense uh, against Philadelphia's uh, fierce top-ranked run defense and they're at home. I got to give the edge to Philadelphia there. I don't think Minnesota's going to find any run room against them either. Uh, Minnesota's frenzied, fast, playmaking, passing game. But like I said, if they don't protect Case Keenum, he's not going to have time to do much of anything against Philadelphia's fast but sometimes undisciplined pass defense. So there's plays to be made there if you can find the time. If you have enough time against the Eagles' pass rush to make some plays. Philly's deep, powerful run game with Jay Ajay uh, in the lead role against Minnesota's fill-the-lane attacking run defense. Talked about the Eagles' number one run D, who was number two in the league this year. That would be the Minnesota Vikings. So it's going to be tough sledding for Philadelphia as well. Uh, and Philadelphia's still downgraded pass offense. I understand they're dangerous off of what uh, Frank Reich and, and Doug Peterson were drawing up for, for Nick Foles, but uh, still downgraded as opposed to what they would be doing if Carson Wentz was there taking on Minnesota's elite uh, widespread pass covers. They can spread out and cover pretty much any receivers in the game. Uh, all those uh, safeties and secondary players, uh, very, very talented. And Harrison Smith always there ready to light you up. Uh, and he's been making plays uh, late in the game on the ball, too. He's sort of developed a nose 
for, for making big plays. If they're tight late and you put it up in the air, Harrison Smith uh, will go get it for you and, and might change the game uh, making a play there. But, yeah, tough, tough matchup to pick for me. Very evenly matched. What I wound up going back to was, I understand it was a while ago, but it still sort of resonated with me. The last time Minnesota came into Philadelphia, it was a while ago. It wasn't that long ago. It was last season. It was week seven. And Sam Bradford and the Minnesota Vikings were riding high. They were 5-0. and Everyone was talking about the great Minnesota Vikings. And, boy, look at this team. And they're ready to go. And it was Carson Wentz's rookie year. And they go up to Philadelphia. And I think a lot of people thought that it was going to be just a coronation and a continuation of the Vikings' great season. And they got whooped. The Eagles beat them 21-10. to and they got after that ass, too. They sacked Sam Bradford six times in that game, and they caused four takeaways. Uh, I think the Eagles probably look at, at, at the Vikings, and they don't see a team that they respect all that much more than the team that came in last year at 5-0. and And the Eagles are underdogs to them. They're playing up that underdog thing. They think they're disrespected they think they've earned more respect than that and i think i agree with the eagles and i'm going to take the eagles to go to the super bowl and knock off the vikings 24 to 13 well interesting here um i have the vikings so i'm just gonna have to disagree with you on this one i've liked the vikings in this matchup i i don't think it's the team of destiny thing after what happened last week, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to worry about, are they going to be riding too high coming off of that unbelievable victory? And then they're just going to come out and lay a complete egg here against, uh, against the Eagles. I was not impressed with the Eagles in that spot against Atlanta. I I don't think Minnesota is going to fall for this offensive game plan of the Eagles that's basically going to say, you know what, let's just let's just hide Nick Foles. They're not going to be able to hide Nick Foles in this game. That Minnesota defense is too good. They can get after the quarterback. They've got great linebackers. I mean, again, it's a very good defense. And then they've got that backside with the two great corners, the good safeties. It looks like Sandejo's fine. Uh, and he's going to play. So you've got – I am not thinking that this is the same matchup that they were able to to sort of eke out a victory against with the Atlanta Falcons. Again, only putting up 15 points. I mean, there was a missed extra point in there, so it was a touchdown and three field goals. 15, 16 points I don't think will be enough to win this game. I think that they're going to have to try to push the ball, and I think the more that the Eagles try to get uh, Nick Foles to make a big play, the worse the outcome is going to be for the Vi- uh, for the Eagles. If if the Vikings can get up early, even if they can get up seven, ten points early in this game, I know it won't be easy, but if you put the Eagles in a position where they're going to have to play from behind, this dink-and-doink stuff isn't going to work. I think it plays perfectly into the game plan of the Vikings to try to make Nick Foles beat them. And the Vikings, they could, they're, they're, they're good against the run. They're good against the pass. Their offense, I think, is good enough. They, they've been able to do good things with the sort of running back by committee all year long and enough with the receivers. They've got the good tight end with Rudolph. I think that the Vikings can make enough plays 
to win this game, and I, I think it's going to be low scoring. Uh, I think the Vikings win this game in the in the neighborhood of that 16-14 kind of area. Very close, very tight, very competitive. Could go either way. Um, I do like the Vikings having that extra motivation of playing to be the first ever host Super Bowl team. I do like that as well. And and the way that they left and left that stadium last week, I think that's a feeling that they want to go back to. And I really don't want to see a, a, this Nick Foles story into the Super Bowl. I, I have I want to see a competitive Super Bowl, and I I like the Vikings in the potential matchup as a much more compelling matchup than I do with the Eagles. If the Eagles go to the Super Bowl, they're going to lose. That's it. So I really don't want to have this sort of predestined feeling that we're watching the Super Bowl in that AFC matchup. I think that the Vikings have enough of a sort of a a wild card tendency going into a potential Super Bowl matchup that that's just the matchup that I would prefer. I like the narrative. I like the, and I know I'm not a narrative guy, but I like the narrative of the Vikings being in the first in 52 tries, the first two first team to ever host a Super Bowl. I think that would be really cool um, having that happen. And I also prefer the Vikings in a potential matchup, either with Jacksonville or new England. I think that that's the tougher team. It's the healthier team. It's the more complete team. I think that Philadelphia game planned enough to beat a team sort of out of their element. I know the Vikings are also a dome team, but they're not a team that is as reliant on precision and speed and and this explosive offense as the Vikings. I think the Vikings with Keenum can kind of rein that in. Ball control. Those running backs are not terrible, and they're both good pass catchers, um, especially McKinnon. So he can be a factor in the pass game. I think that the Vikings can do enough little varied things against the Eagles. I just don't think that the Eagles are going to be able to do enough against the Vikings. So I'm going to take the Vikings and disagree with you on this one, uh, which means I feel good because I didn't have to change off my Jaguars pick because that's the one I really like. Um, I know you I, I'm going. I'm going special teams on this one for my X factor. I'm going with that Vikings kick and punt returner, Marcus Sherrill. He is a game-breaker. And if they are able to get a punt or a kick return or some types of huge special teams plays, flip the field, get a touchdown, um, cheap points like that could really go a long way towards helping them win the game. Okay. First, I need some clarification. You were throwing out low scores such as 16, 14, and things around that nature. The, the Vikings are the three-point favorites, so you realize you have to give at least three uh, to take the Vikings. So. Oh, that's right. They're the favorite. Okay. That's right. I'll go 19-14. I'll give them that extra field goal at the end. I keep fe- I keep forgetting that they're the favorite in this game. Exactly. <laughs> that's sort of my point. The Eagles are disrespected, and, and they, they feel they are, and they have reason to feel they are, because uh, I'm still surprised a, a little bit that they've been underdogs twice like this. But I get it. Nick Foles has been that, that bad. Uh yeah, I, I like Cheryl's too. Uh, my X Factor is uh, Fletcher Cox is wrecking so much stuff. He's not my X Factor, but he does so much up front to to wreck things and open up uh, areas for other people to make plays. And there's so many guys along that defensive line that take advantage and, and make plays. So uh, I'm going to go with Brandon Graham. He's one of those veterans that's been there. He's been there through the losing. He's been there nine years, a uh, longtime Eagle. Uh, he's still productive, nine and a half sacks. This year he was in on 47 tackles. He's 
uh, he, he can make a, an impact play in there. And if he gets a, a hole to go up there and make a, a sack and, a, and force a fumble, he would do that. So I'm going with Brandon Graham. All right. Well, we managed to make it exciting with two picks. We still only got it in at the wire. Yeah, that's how we do it. That's how we do it in much less detail. More on our after show when we come back. Into our VIP after show program. I am thrilled. Are you you're saying I haven't been breaking up for two hours now? I'm I'm stunned. No, you this is the best audio show we have had in ages. Wow. Man, that's that's great. Just in time for honors and dishonors next week. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah, let's just let's 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 keep a good thing going here. So next week, uh just you know, let's just try to get this thing where we call in like just call in three, four, five minutes early so we know we both hear each other. I don't want to yeah, – I'm going to be superstitious now. <laughs> no, I understand. I, I will definitely do that. I will definitely plug in my microphone before I open the, the window, uh, before I open the browser to my computer. That, that seemed to be the yes. trick, at, at least this time. Yeah, and who knows how much of it that plays into it, too, that we're not trying to connect, like, right as the show starts and just mm-hmm. throw in blog talk radio for, like, a complete loop. Um, I don't know why it would make a difference why I could hear you who comes in late versus me who's been waiting for 10 minutes with the thing connected. But, I'm like I said, I'm going to be superstitious now. After we have a show with audio quality that's good, uh, I'm going to want to make sure we do everything possible to keep it going because... I, I don't think our listeners want to keep hearing us complaining about our audio fidelity every show or going through 15, 20 minute stretches of hello. Hello. Oh, oh wait, I, 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 hang on. I just me? got a text that says, keep talking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't uh, anything to do with you because that's the, if you remember the reason that I had you try to host was because I was the one hosting and couldn't be heard. Uh, when you would come on and it's like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. So you, you host it, you see what you can do. Uh, right. And for a while I had the- no problem. And then all of a sudden I couldn't be heard as the host. So yeah. I did read that email that you sent and I did make sure and I went through every little step that I could to make sure I knew I was connected. I knew I could hear myself. So as I went through and there's an audio setting I could put on where I can hear myself talking into my own microphone, which I don't leave on during the show. Cause that would be disorienting. But I knew I, I knew I was actually able to talk and hear myself. So I had a good feeling that when you came in right away and we heard each other, I was like, all right, we're good. Yeah. And then I was just, this was a shot in the dark, me hooking up my microphone and, and seeing if that was going to work. But yeah, uh, thankfully it does. So that's, that's great. No, uh, we'll take it. I'll take any, I'll take a, a smooth show. So I, it's the Vikings who I end up going with to, to go against you here. And if I can manage to pull out a win in that pick, the other pick really doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. If I manage to pull out a win in that pick, I will pull within two points and you will have to pick the Super Bowl winner. And I will have to disagree with you. <sighs> go Eagles. So basically, you are in a position to lose. I mean, I am not in a position to win. I, I hate to say it. you are an only you are only in a position to lose. 
No pressure. If this, no, no pressure. If this thing ends up going against you, it's not because of anything I did. Although I would have picked the winner here, which I That's did. Right. I had this all week. So at least if I can win this pick and at least put you in the position to have to pick the, if we get to the Super Bowl and this is still competitive, I will take that as a victory. Even if I end up losing, even if you pick the Super Bowl correctly, as bad as this season was for me, if I can at least take you to the Super Bowl, which we haven't done in a while, uh, our last few seasons have been over. Actually, the majority of it, since we started the, the podcast and the blog, a lot of seasons have been over before the Super Bowl. We haven't had a ton of them come down to it, so I would it'd be it'd be fun if I could, after as bad as this season was, kind of playing with my little hang in there strategy and just stay with you, stay with you. You'll come back, you'll come back. I did have a nice run of games there in weeks. Uh, oh, it was about we go about eleven to fifteen. I had that nice run where I was chunking you. You know, every week I was getting two, three, four games. It seemed like back from you uh, before week sixteen when I fell back a little bit and you got a bunch back from me. Um, I chipped away, and I'd be very proud of myself, even if I can get to the Super Bowl in a season that I thought was over three weeks in, four weeks in. I thought it was just done. So we'll see. But our system is set up for competitive races in the playoffs. That's right. Now, the one thing I knew was going to happen is that you were not going against Jacksonville. This is the matchup that you wanted. This is the team that you've been saying can give the Patriots uh, a run for their money. I knew you were going to go with the Jaguars. Now, do you want to know something? Sure. If you had taken Minnesota, I would have flipped to New England. Ooh, you wait, you so like the that, So let that let that hang in the back of your mind <laughs> as the games are going on tomorrow. And had I only taken the Vikings, you know, you know. So interesting is yeah, that was my my feel going into the week was I liked Jacksonville and Minnesota. If we agreed on both, I would have taken the Patriots. But I trust the Patriots to cover seven or seven and a half more than I cut more than I cover, uh, you know favor the Eagles. I, I don't have confidence in the Eagles here. So, you know, if I'm pulling a confidence pool here. In a two in a two game system, I'm going Vikings one, Jaguars two. If I'm forced to have to flip, I'm going to go with the one I'm the least confident on, like I did with Pittsburgh last week. So I actually would have gone to the Patriots because, like I've said, Patriots have shown this uncanny ability to cover even when they look like shit. Mm-hmm. Don't I know it? So, and you've been getting stung by that all year. So you did not put me in a position to have to flip well, to the dark years. side. Thank you. Thank you for not putting me in a position to have to be rooting for the Patriots. <laughs> you actually did me a favor by going with Philly. No, you did yourself a favor. You didn't have to switch to uh, uh, to Minnesota. You could have switched to or switched to Philadelphia. You could no. have stuck with uh, with Minnesota. That's and the, one that and, uh, the one I've been sure about all week has been the Vikings. Um, See, that's, uh, that's, so I'm surprised you have more confidence in that than you do in the Jaguars. Well, it's because they're playing New England. See, I have no faith. It's not because I don't have faith in Minnesota or Jacksonville. It's not because I don't have faith in the Jaguars because I do love that defense. And what I don't have faith in 
is that youth and an experience and having to go up against sort of the the machine that is the Patriots. It just it'll just eat you up and spit you out. Um and you can like I said, you can look amazing for three and a half quarters or like or you can look amazing for three quarters in a Super Bowl and still find a way not to cover a number against the Patriots. And uh they they have a way of turning that adversity and it's weird little things just happening to go their way, a weird little fumble, a weird strip sack, right? They just make that play. Their guys are in the right spot. They jump slant routes in the Super Bowl, steal victory from the jaws of defeat. They do those things that just you just pull your hair out because that team is just those guys are coached and they know where to be. And they, you know, like I said, it's just a machine. So I had and I had no faith in the Eagles. So the, no way I was going to flip my pick over to Philadelphia, who I absolutely do not want to see in the Super Bowl because they're going to lose. <laughs> no, so, I. I, I am not trying to talk shit about the pick uh, at all, but I, I'm a little perplexed as to why there was so much sentiment against the Eagles this week. Because you, what you're saying is 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 definitely what's been the most popular thing that I've heard all week, which is Minnesota is definitely going to go into Philly and win that game and, and win the NFC. That Philly has almost no chance. That's what I've been hearing, and I'm I'm a little surprised by it, just because we've seen so many times that a defense can can carry a team, uh, and it's not like the Vikings are this super team that's just a, a team of destiny or anything like that. At least I don't think they are. Uh, so to, to see people just dismiss what the Eagles are capable of doing, especially at home, if this was at Minnesota, I can understand, but this is going to be at Philadelphia. It's going to be out of the dome. It's going to be uh, weather's not going to be a factor. Uh, both both games are going to be in the 40s with almost no wind. But but it is going to be a, a crazy atmosphere. It's going to be the biggest game of Case Keenum's career. He's throwing up balls in games that aren't the biggest games of his career. Uh, he's not getting protection in, in those games. And then this game against the Eagles, it just I, I, I again, I'm not trying to talk shit about the pick at all. I understand that people don't want to, to to trust in Nick Foles under any circumstances. I believe me, I totally get that, but it's just surprising to hear how so many people are just totally against uh, the Eagles on, on on this game tomorrow. I don't want to point out the fact that two five and one in the playoffs doesn't give you a whole lot of wiggle room on talking shit about picks. That I'm I'm not trying to talk shit about the picks. <laughs> I'm just wondering no, I'm talking out loud. about your playoff record. I got to beat you down whenever I can. I'm actually ahead of you for something for a change here. I'm having a better playoff run than you. Oh my god! No, I, Not I by know, much. I mean, <laughs> four, four, three, and one, and one of those wins was by virtue of a flip flop on a pick that I originally didn't have. That's right. Hey, but but wins a win. Wins a win. <laughs> Wins a win. I don't care how I get them. Fortunately, here in the conference championships, I'm clean. Uh, there was no way, by the way, that I was going to disagree with you on both of these. Even if you had the Patriots, I probably would have just disagreed with you on the Jaguars. Maybe. I don't know. That's a tough one. This is tough. But I, there's no way I would have taken the Eagles. Ugh. That's the sentiment. Uh, and also, you're expressing a, a, a lot less 
trust and belief in the Jaguars than I thought you had. I thought you were just all in on, on Jacksonville. So, but, I uh, do believe every time I have pointed out the fact that I said that this is the matchup that I wanted, I always preface that by saying, I think they'll lose. Okay. But this is the matchup that I want. This, I think this is the most fun matchup for just somebody who likes football to see that number one defense going up again. I still consider them the number one defense. The only reason they're not number one were those skewed numbers when they went out to San Francisco. That's it. Mm-hmm. They were the number one defense by a lot, pretty much all year long. And then they just sort of flip-flopped with Minnesota, I believe it was, when that happened. And that was it. That was the change. They had that bad game where they just got completely shredded by by Jimmy Garoppolo. And that was it. But I don't even think Tom Brady has the arm talent as Jimmy Garoppolo does at this point of his career anymore. We'll see. I mean, so are they overplaying this whole thumb thing? I guess I don't know. I think his game's been Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Honestly, I wouldn't be stunned if this is just nothing more than gamesmanship. Well, if the reporting is true that that there's stitches involved, and that's always possibly serious, uh, but but it can be overcome, and and it's one of those things that nobody knows until he actually plays. So all the speculation. He's played with a glove before on his throwing hand. If it's not affecting his grip on the football, it's zero deal, zero. And whatever pain, he'll probably just tore it all up and and. Just yeah. play right through that. Now, if it affects his grip on the football, if it makes it easier for him to fumble a snap, maybe he, like I said, maybe he's not under center. If it makes it easier for him to get strip sacked, or maybe he won't be so, you know, keen to kind of tuck and run, or to, and he's not anyways. But he's every once in a while you'll see him pull that thing to I. If it's in his head, then it's a problem. Other than that, I, I, I think this total gamesmanship, he'll probably – I wouldn't be shocked if he comes out on their very first offensive series and tries to just chuck a long bomb, even if it's an inaccurate one. Even if it's inaccurate, he's got to come out and just show the Jaguars, I can still throw the ball. Just go out there, drop back, throw it as far as you possibly can. You know, even if it gets picked, you still tried. Make them have to look out for that even if you don't ever do that again the rest of the game. Exactly. And it's the Patriots. I mean, their whole long passing game is throw the ball up and pray for pass interference. Sure seems like it. That's their whole long passing game. Like I said, I'm the, he, he throws so many short passes that I, I, I disregard any of those that you see in, on, the, on whatever the Patriots opening drive is. It's his first long, uh, uh, medium or long attempt for Gronkowski that if he can't get that 10 yards in the air with some, with a, at least a little zip on it, forget it. it, it it's, it's a wrap. Yeah, I, honestly, I would be doing whatever I can to double him. I wouldn't be worried about those guys out on the outside at all. If his thumb is hurt, his his best accuracy is going to be over the middle. And, you, you know, it, I would just be, I would just get two guys over under on Gronk that whole game. I'd have linebackers shading under his route, safety over the top, or whatever you they need to do. But I would definitely say, if I'm Jacksonville, that we are not going to lose this game to Rob Gronkowski. They might try something not like as, that, but it's so much. It, it's so hard. Not to easy. Do it. you can, it's not yeah, easy. you can say nothing, what you're going to do. Nothing's going to be easy. 
and then you try to do it, and he just throws everybody aside anyway and just romps all yeah. over you. Because the Patriots will potentially have four or five guys all waiting around within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and Brady generally finds the open guy. It's incredible. That's uh, That offense has been such a machine for, for such a long time and not going to end anytime soon. I, I didn't say the Patriots were going to be a terrible team. I just said that they're not going to win the Super Bowl because they're uh, they had that unique – uh, uh, motivation right. last year, but here it is. If uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl, then it's going to be either Case Keenum, Nick Foles, or Blake Bortles that wins yeah. the Super Bowl. <laughs> it, I can't imagine any of those three, so I I might have to wind up taking the Patriots by the fall. You know, and honestly, if the Patriots win the Super Bowl this whole season, to me, it'll just feel like a total waste. Yeah, it was it was wide open, and then if they just wind up sort of emerging from the morass, yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, then it's just again, like, ah, whatever. Yeah, just really, come on, can we just be done with this? It's not even compelling anymore. I think it's actually a detriment for the sport if they do win again. I don't think it's. I think basically it's it's just all the 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 Boston, you know, the the Boston people, all the Patriots fans, and all the people who just want to, you know late Tom Brady is the GOAT, which he's not, but they'll do it anyways. Yeah, it turns into, I think, what the what Michael Jordan and the Bulls turned into for a lot of people outside of Chicago. It, after a while, it was like, oh, again? Oh, geez, somebody beat them, please. No. Yeah, and it's not even one of those things where it's like, I'm just, you know, turning my eye on greatness. I, I, I just, they're boring, you know, <laughs> they're, 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 they're boring. There's nothing spectacular about them. I, I, I appreciate what they're doing in a, in a salary cap era, you know, with, in the way they go about things, it doesn't help that they've been busted at, you know, cheating multiple times. Although, you know, I'm sure everybody's cheating, but they got caught. Um, and just this whole, you know, that time, everybody, everybody who's the like the most recent thing you've got to anoint as the greatest of all time. You got to give that shit some time to breathe. They are. I just get that weird feeling, like, and I they are very like, unspectacular. Yeah, I, I was talking about this when I was at work, and the people were talking about, well, yeah, but the Patriots, he's once, you know, he could potentially be the sixth Super Bowl and all that. And I said, okay, real quick, how many of those Patriots Super Bowl winning teams? would you consider as one of the greatest teams of all time? And they're like, yeah, none of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. None of them. I was about to say, of course, of course the answer they're, they're would be the 16 and 0 team, team that, that didn't actually win a title. Yeah. The team that they had that was the best team that could have been potentially put up on that pedestal was the team that didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Exactly. How crazy is that? So, of their Super Bowl winning teams, none of those teams jump off the page. They're not. They're not the '84 Niners or any of those Niners teams. They're. They're not even a couple of those Cowboys teams. Good, you know, or that '90 uh, was it the Redskins? That Doug Williams Redskins? They're the Bears or the Ravens or you know, yeah, they're probably better than some of those teams in the '60s and the '70s. 
that nobody ever looks up and goes, yeah, you know, there's the 72 Dolphins because they won every game. Although everybody goes, yeah, that team wasn't that great. They just happened to win every game. I look at the Patriots like them. Like, yeah, they, they were all right, but they just happened to win oh, the Super Bowl. Just hating on the Patriots. You, you didn't you didn't appreciate no. that team that won by three or the other team that won by three? Three or, or, three. or the other team that won by three? Or four. What about that fourteen that won by four? You, you didn't appreciate yeah. any of those. Yeah, their biggest about win was the one in six because it was an overtime. They dominated. They dominated. They won yeah. by six. <laughs> the Patriots have never dominated a team in the Super Bowl. And by the they way, got hung in by, they, they got hung in on by the, they got hung in on by the Panthers, right? They did, Jake DeLome, the Panthers the game. Jake Delome. Yeah, I mean, yes. I would say their most impressive of all their Super Bowl wins wasn't even the comeback. It was their first one. It was beating that greatest show on turf Rams team. Back yeah, when the Patriots won those, the Patriots won those first three Super Bowls with defense, and that's the other thing that nobody talks about. They did not win those Super Bowls because of Tom Brady. They won those because they were a top tier, well coached defense that sprung up some traps on some people like they did in that first one was about 14 point underdogs. I mean, how massive were they as underdogs against that Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, greatest show on turf team, Marshall Falk. I mean, they were massive underdogs and they won that Super Bowl. That was their biggest, that was their biggest win. And everything since then, I've just like, yeah, they've won a Super Bowl because the team threw a pick. At the goal line, they won another Super Bowl because the team completely choked away a 25-point lead. I just think, eh. They got helped winning another Super Bowl because the kicker, after he tied the game, kicked the ball out of bounds to give him the ball <laughs> at the 40-yard line. This is, this is what I mean. There's nothing impressive about the Patriots. They've watched more teams give them wins than they've taken wins. That's why I have so many well, problems with that team. That's why I feel robbed as a football fan if I have to watch them in the Super Bowl again. But that great win over the Eagles with vomiting Don, Donovan McNabb. Was that a oh yeah big garbage time of, touchdown? Yeah, yeah, and Greg Lewis. Uh, yeah, Donovan McNabb's puking in the huddle. Yeah, Terrell Owens yeah. beat your yeah. ass with a broken leg. <laughs> Terrell Owens had a hell of a game. On one leg. On a busted leg. So, yeah, so are you starting to come around to my side a little bit here on these Patriots not being so amazing? And I don't think I, I'm going to look back 15 years from now and be like, man, whew, I'm going to be telling my kids someday, you know, hey, oh, Grant, should have seen those Patriots, these boy. Man, they were amazing. Now, what I will I, tell him is those were some of the best coach teams I ever saw. Sure. That's why no, I've been I, right I'm there with up. you uh, watching this dynasty and, and a couple of times next to you literally watching this whole dynasty. And, and yeah. no, I, we, we've been on record, uh, off the record. We've been very clear about what we think the Patriots are, which are uh, amazingly put together teams and a championship organization and a, and a dynasty for sure. And right. But Tom Brady as the the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest Super Bowl champion because of all the rings was like, no no we no he's, he's very good he's, 
Nobody talks about Bill Russell as the greatest anymore, do they? Uh, A couple of gray hairs will uh, every now and then. I think Tony Kornheiser will still say that he's the best. People like that. But all the idiots, on all the talking heads on TV, the only thing that matters to them are all the rings. Oh, he's got the rings. That's all that matters. Right. No, that's, well, that's not Bill Russell has all. Of them, so. It's right, but that's not all that matters. And if that's your only argument is, well, I got one more championships, th- th- you, got, you got nothing. It doesn't pass the no. eye test. Would any of those Patriots teams have beaten in their era – any of those teams that we consider the great, the great Super Bowl teams. Well, no. those guys that are putting all that value on the rings have to go out of their way to ignore right there in front of them every Sunday on Fox is Terry Bradshaw and his four rings, and nobody says he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. No, not, even close. not even close. <laughs> that he got those rings on the backs of, of, of his defense. And exactly. He, and that reminds me of the of how much the running game helped out, where he had Franco Harris, uh, Tom Brady, and those early Patriots champions that had a defense. They also had great running uh, as part of their package. It wasn't Tom Brady just getting it up and down the field. It was uh, uh, Corey Dillon uh, helping out a lot uh, with those with those offenses. So there's a lot that goes into it, but you you really just got to sit down and watch and and observe what's going on instead of just going by well he's got the most rings so he's got to be the greatest yeah, that's, that's yeah and, and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to piss all over the patriots legacy or all that i i just am trying to say i don't think down the road that history is going to look at them as as the best they're going to have some nice highlight packages and they'll be able to put some things together unfortunately a lot of the best highlights that you're going to be able to put together of tom brady's career we're from that year they didn't win the Super Bowl. That's right. That year he had Randy Moss, and and he threw and Jesus what was five thousand something yards, and Randy Moss had holy Christ, what did he have twenty some touchdowns that year? I mean, it was insane. It's crazy what they what that team did, and and then they went to the Super Bowl and lost. Now, if that team had won the Super Bowl, maybe this conversation's a little different. <laughs> And that's because also definitely you get pissed on perfection, but they pissed away perfection. But but that game is also why so many people want to argue for the Patriots too. That that's why none of this is really to me, you know, that big of a deal. Not that you, the Patriots, Tom Brady and Randy Moss won that that Super Bowl. They did what they had. To, they get, they got the game winning touchdown to win that Super Bowl too. They should yep. have been seventeen and the defense didn't stop Eli Manning and, and the helmet catch. Uh, That's right. So, you know, who could, who can say that it's cut and dried one way or another? No one can say for sure one way or the other if the Patriots are the the greatest or not the greatest or whatever. Just, you just got to watch and, and and enjoy what's you know what's happening in front of you. And I I, I try to leave all the labeling you know to the side because you, you don't know. No one really knows. We can never still fun compare. To talk about. Yeah, you know, in the bar and stuff, you can t- you can you can never take all those uh, Montana 49ers and put them against uh, Brady's Patriots and see who was the best because I think that'd be a, a great 
a hell of a matchup, but I don't know who'd win because it's different rules and different players, different shapes and sizes, and you you, you don't know. You, you really don't know. So, yeah, you can debate it and, and talk about it all night, but no one really actually knows who's the best and, and who's who's better and, and who deserves the, the label of dynasty and all that stuff. So Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the Tom Brady – if the Tom Brady Patriots played the 85 Bears under the 85 rules, they'd lose – they'd Ooh. probably get shut out. If they played the 85 Bears in today's rules, all the Bears players would be ejected. <laughs> they have so many flags on every single play. Oh, yeah, yeah, legal contact on every play. Well. Yeah, so – you know, so a lot of that is what's being allowed to happen, you know, and, and the Patriots more than any other team, they're the smartest team in football. We never have labeled them ever as the stupidest team in football. They know the rules. They know how to exploit them. I mean, they are, like I said, that's why, I mean, you're going to have the Belichick trophy someday. I am fully, I believe that. Yeah, they're not the Cowboys. No. No, I mean I am I am fully on board with the greatness of what that that coaching staff and that system and and the the, the spit them up and the, the chew them up and spit them out ways that they've handled like players and been shrewd in free agency. They have signed guys that have, other teams have cast off and brought them in. And it's the Patriot way, and they've brought them in and they've turned them into stars. I'm on board with all of that. What I'm not on board with is individual accolades because that is a system not any one player. It's the way everybody fits together. And that it's the only way you can get something with that kind of a longevity in a 53 man roster situation. Cause we've, how many times have we seen where the, you know, Tom Brady's never ever in any one season other than that imperfect season been the best quarterback out on the field in the league. He's, I don't think he's ever been the best quarterback in football except for that one year. Yeah, well, I was uh, a lot of the genesis of the Brady versus Manning thing was people trying to to always say that Brady's clearly better or clearly greater because the Patriots kept winning titles, and so those people would say that Brady was the better quarterback on the field versus Manning, and I always thought that Peyton Manning was better than Tom Brady, and I still think Peyton Manning's the best quarterback I've ever seen myself, but that's yeah, and not just arguments. as a pure passer. I mean, Peyton Manning is more – he was a more cerebral no, quarterback, quarterback, too. And, and yeah, the whole package, in the, the position. Whole package. Yeah, who can just dissect a defense, call his own plays, you know, recognize that, yeah, I mean, did he win on all the big spots? No. Did he have the team that was set up? That's what, you know, he didn't have the team that was always set up to big in the win in those big spots either. He had putrid defenses and, and, and very little running game for a lot of that. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, but no, I, I, I'm with you. And, and Peyton's got his two rings and he didn't even deserve the second one. Oh God, that second one was just terrible. <laughs> he played so terrible. That was, that was the worst it's performance the worst by a quarterback, by a yeah. Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yeah. Worst yeah. ever. I mean, that goes back to, like, the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, so counting you know, championship worse than, rings. Worse than Jim Plunkett uh, or, <laughs> you know, worse, worse than Trent Dilfer. Oh. Worse than Jeff Hostetler. 
God, Trent Dilfer. Oh, I still can't believe I lost money on that game. God. I mean, yeah. He, but I, I, I will say, because we talked about that, that only somebody who was aware of their declining skills and was smart enough to understand who he was in that moment would have allowed himself to take that step back. He did not, he purposely was not trying to win that game. He was perfectly happy throwing for a five yard pass on third and seven and just getting off the field. And he just would not, he refused to go out there and let the ego get in the way or make the big mistake. And how often do you see that guy who just doesn't have it anymore? Like Brett Favre. Beat me too. I was going to say, Oh, you mean like Brett Favre? Goes out there and thinks he still got it, and pulls off a you know this is a Detroit moment you know, <laughs> and and does stuff like no I mean how how do you the what that took for Peyton Manning to allow that team to just win despite him was was it was almost masterful in how awful he played he played awful. But he didn't play stupid. And if you remember, that was Gary Kubiak making that decision. I believe that was Gary Kubiak uh, that made the decision to put him back in the starting lineup when he was healthy because it was, I believe, Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler, yeah. Who had actually won the loss. Right. Brock Osweiler was a big comeback in New England, right? And the moment he showed the slightest bit of of regression. Oh, yeah. Peyton, get Peyton back up in there. Peyton, how you feeling? Oh, I don't know. I'd say I'm uh, about twenty percent. All right, good enough. <laughs> You're in the game. <laughs> hey, go get him. Better to win. Better to lose with 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 the with the uh, the Hall of Famer than win with this kid who might who might be hot, but you don't know what he's going to get you. And history has shown what Osweiler has done since then. That was definitely the right move. Osweiler would have lost one of them playoff games before the Broncos ever yeah. got to the Super Bowl. You'll always do better with what you know than than what you don't know. And they knew that Peyton Manning wasn't going to go out there and crap the bed in the Super Bowl like he did against the Saints. You know, he threw that he threw the pick six against the Saints. Although that Saints team was a bit of a charmed story, and I don't. It, they were just going to. It was just the whole thing, the onside kick. That, that whole thing had its own sort of mythical storybook thing going. I don't think it mattered who they would have played. Um, they were still in that game. wasn't yeah, like the, the wasn't bring, like the Saints blew them out. No, but to bring it all the way around was that's why I was so mad that the Saints found a way to lose this game against the the Vikings because I yeah. got the same feeling from this Saints team that I had from that team. I thought this team was poised to, to make a magical run and go all the way and win the title. I really was, was sort of falling in love with them. And then they go and pull that shit. Ugh. And they rip your heart out. I, I actually yelled out no when Stefan Diggs made that. No! And then I just sort of like, yep, that's the that's I My and reaction was... My yeah. fucking ass. <laughs> My reaction was just one of those, you know, because we both had won the pick, right? I mean, we all we no, were pushing push. on that. No, no, down. it was a push <laughs> after the touchdown, but we were winning that yeah. pick completely. Yeah. 
for almost the whole game, except in the first half, and then the Saints did the comeback, which I thought they would. You know, I didn't think that the Saints, that the Vikings were just going to blow them out. The, the Saints were good. They could run the ball, and Breeze was not going to play as bad. I mean, his quarterback rating in the first half was like zero. That's another reason why I was falling in love with him, because the way the Vikings' D was playing, the Saints could have gotten blown out easily, and they didn't because Drew Brees is that good, and that offense is that good. Yeah. And yeah, and then that running game, and, and then Kamara, and those guys were just making plays. And then that play, ha- I, watching that play happen was just one of those like I, I can't believe what I'm. It was one of those where you watch a sport or you do something like in my job or anything where you just think you've seen everything. You become sort of jaded. And oh yeah, okay, they're gonna they're gonna valiantly try to get into field. I thought maybe they could get into field goal range. Maybe they get lucky on like a deep out. And then when, when Diggs catches the ball and lands on the ground and he spins and you see him running for the end zone, you're just like, ah, this isn't happening. <laughs> and I'm not a Saints fan. I could not imagine oh. being a Saints fan and, and watching that happen. I mean... Oh, that's a, it's another that's, bar conversation. Which is the worst yeah, gut punch? The, the way the Steelers got whooped by the Jags again or the way the Saints lost? The way the Saints lost. Because the Jags were whooping the Steelers for the whole game. Right. I mean, they were, I mean, they, like I said, I was watching that. They were just, the Jaguars were manhandling Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh had no answers. Every time you thought Pittsburgh had an answer, the Jaguars came back. Every time, you know. And they just, they kept trying. And it's like, every time that the fans would get back into it, the Steelers would find a way to just give up another touchdown. And this is like, you're doing this to Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's the thing. If, if I could be devil's advocate, they that fired, might be. They fired the offensive coordinator. They scored 42. Well, I've been reading. They've been on the outs. Uh, that, I know they that's, hate Todd Haley. They hated Todd yeah. He's a jerk, first of all. Todd Haley's just a D-bag. <laughs> Nobody likes Todd Haley. But you gave up 42 point, 45 points you gave up. Right. So you fired so the You scored OC. 42. And you fired the offensive guy. Well, damn it, we needed 46, and we didn't get it, so you were asking, <laughs> out of here. That, if I could be devil advocate, that might be a worse way to lose because you're the Super Bowl champion. You still got their Super Bowl core as far as Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, your coach, Mike Tomlin, and you got embarrassed by this young piece of shit punk team that ain't never done nothing in their lives in the regular season, and you get them again on your home turf again, and you get your ass whooped again. That yeah, not only that, too, man. Not only that, that was the team they said they wanted. Yeah, we want the Jaguars. We want to make up for uh, – uh, oh, oh, no. Yeah. You, oh, you want, no. You want, what? I don't see the – the Patriots are kissing the Jaguars' asses this week in all the <laughs> – Wouldn't you? That's what they're doing. Oh, we, they're not giving we them We appreciate anything. the Jaguars. We think yeah, they're a oh, great yeah, oh, they're gonna, Yeah, they're going to be a tough, tough opponent. No, no, the Steelers were openly just like, ah. You know, and how much how much can you put on the Steelers for doing the whole – well, we're going to play the Patriots twice and all that yeah, stuff. They're yeah. just totally overlooking the whole rest of their schedule. Play like ass for the majority of the rest of that schedule. F- get the bye week 
and the first thing they do is come out and give up a 45 spot to the Jaguars. They deserve to, to not be in the playoffs anymore. I'm glad they're gone. Well, that's the other reason the Patriots are kissing the Jaguars' ass because the Patriots and the Steelers are sort of, you know, not one and the same, but they're very close. They're, you know, they're yeah. they're they're peers in the NFL. And when you watch a, a bully walk up and, and take out a peer like that and just leave them in a, in a bloody heap, and then they turn and look at you like you're next. You go, no, sir, I'm not buddy. mad at you. Sir. I, yeah, hey, man, buddy. that was that was an awesome <laughs> thing you just did, man. I'm not mad at you yeah. at all. I appreciate you Honest, very much. And, and honestly, I believe the reason that they're being so complimentary of the Jaguars is I don't think this is the team they wanted either. No, I don't think it is. They wanted Pittsburgh because we yeah. know what the we we know what would happen. Honestly, if this was Pitts, if this was Steelers at Patriots. It's Patriots minus three, right? Patriots minus three and a half. I'd be all over oh, the Patriots no. not, all not day long. Zero injury. I, I, I bet it would have been well, okay. minus, minus six. Four, four and a half, five, but whatever. I'd be all over the Patriots as big favorites, even as, even as big favorites, because the Patriots are renting space in the Steelers' heads. Right. No, they, they own these guys. The Steelers. Yeah, they're getting a team now that's this this great unknown. Nobody knows what team we're getting tomorrow. Are we getting that Jaguars team that put up 45 on uh, the Steelers? Are we going to get that Jaguars team that went to London and completely embarrassed the Ravens? Remember that? Mm-hmm. That 31 like 31 nothing at like halftime. Or are we getting a team that put up 10 against Buffalo? Right. And we don't know, and I don't think the Patriots know. The Patriots knew what they were going to get with Pittsburgh, an immensely talented team that's going to underperform, not play anywhere near their potential, and is a head case, and then will coach themselves out of a game. I've actually seen some good coaching from the Jaguars this year. That win they had up in Seattle that I've always been so complimentary of, when they sort of adjusted their play style to, to mold to – the Seahawks play style and not let Russell Wilson do his best things and sort of, you know, I saw that, like I've always talked about the maturity they showed and are they going to come up with something? Are they going to have a a wrinkle? Are they going to have, have they unlocked a secret? Have they watched some of that game film? If I was the Jaguars, all I'd be watching were (laughs) the Ravens, the Giants and the Broncos, because that's how you play them. Those are the teams that have had the success. And even then they didn't make it easy. Those games are always tight. Well, the Patriots don't know which Jaguars team they're getting tomorrow. And the thing that makes the Jaguars so scary to me is I don't think the Jaguars know which Jaguars team is coming out tomorrow. So uh, they may stun themselves, right? I don't. <laughs> right. They, you think they they know what Blake Bortles is going to do tomorrow? They have no fucking idea. <laughs> they don't no. know. No, and, and it'd be interesting to see if they come out and it's heavy four net right away. Or, you know, I even saw a lot of T.J. Yeldon getting sprinkled in, even in the first mm-hmm. half. He was being productive because Fournette was so tired from running so much that they put in Yeldon, and he was effective. Everything that the Jaguars did was just gold against the Steelers' defense. It was yeah, painful. I don't if they don't get a replacement for, for Shazier to, to sort of fill in and do some of the stuff that he was doing, they're, they're not going to 
contend next year either. Yep. Not seriously. So you, anyway. you, you gotta you gotta explain before we get off the air the Rex Burkhead in Effingham joke. Um, <laughs> so when he shows up on a, when he shows up on unsolved mysteries with a back from the dead Robert Stack, um, you know perhaps you could help solve a mystery. Probably told this show uh, the story on the show. You uh, have told us, but it's a classic. It's one of those oldies but goodies. It goes all the way back to when I was about to move down here. It's the uh, the trip that I took down here to interview for the job that I currently have. Uh, because I'm not a big baller, I, I can't be flying around to different places. So I, I took the uh, the Greyhound bus down to interview for this job and, and took it right back home uh, two days later. Well, on the trip down, it was a completely packed, crowded bus uh, down from Chicago for any new listeners. I was living in Chicago at the time, and I'm down here now in, in beautiful suburban Memphis, Tennessee with my wife, uh, but I was long distance dating her, and so I was uh, interviewing for this job down here in Memphis. And that was a very interesting uh, Greyhound trip down that night from Chicago to Memphis. It was a nighttime trip, so... 10 hours on the bus. So starting at uh, probably, if I can remember, like eight, nine o'clock at night from Chicago and, and scheduled to arrive here in Memphis, you know, about six, seven in the morning. So there's a couple of rest stops between Memphis and Chicago on these bus routes. One of those rest stops, uh, this completely crowded, packed bus uh, gets off. Every seat is taken on the bus. We get to the rest stop. We all get off the bus. And 20, 30 minutes later, it's time for us to get back on and, and get back on the road. Well, one guy is now standing on the bus because every seat was taken. And now that we're all on the bus ready to go, and there's a guy in the back standing up, we of course know what that means. I mean, it was, you know, obviously late two in the morning or whatever. So, I was, you know, very groggy and most of us were very groggy. So maybe we didn't understand what it means, but obviously now in hindsight, if somebody's standing and we're all sitting in, in seats, that means this dude is on the bus that wasn't on there before. And now it's time to figure out who he is, why he's on this bus and what are we going to do about it? So our bus driver, very calmly, I give him, I guess, credit for not escalating things, not yet anyway. Uh, gets on his microphone and says, excuse me, are you supposed to be on this bus? And this, this, has, been a, this has been some years now, so I don't remember uh, what the guy's response was, but it basically it wasn't yes, because he, he wasn't supposed to be on the bus. He, he wandered on uh, after we got to our rest stop, and he, I guess he was looking for a free ride to somewhere. I don't know, I don't know if he even knew where we were headed. He, just, he was just on the bus. So the bus driver asked him, you know, are you supposed to be here? And the guy did not respond affirmatively. And the bus driver just segues right into calling the police. Uh, this rest stop was in uh, the aforementioned town of Effingham, Illinois. That's where uh, the, if you take the mega bus from Memphis to Chicago, to Chicago, it stops in Effingham as a rest stop. Effingham very popular, I guess, rest stop. There's a lot of uh, uh, little snack areas. There's rest restroom area. There's a McDonald's. So anyway, we're in Effingham, Illinois, when the bus driver makes the call to the cops. The Effingham police eventually show up, 
they get on the bus and they very gently lead the guy off the bus. The guy stood there the whole time. He may have gone into the bathroom at one point, but he, uh, but the cops got on and got in the bathroom and, and got him out of there. And they let him off the bus and, it, and nothing seemed like it was out of the ordinary. It was just some cops taking a, a, a freeloader off the bus and we were about to get ready to uh, get back on and, and get ready to go. So you see the cops take him off the bus. You see the cops talking to the guy. Uh, they're in front of the McDonald's. They're right there on the sidewalk and they're, they're just talking to him. But it, it was, uh, it was more than uh, it was more cops than you would think for, for a situation like this. Cause the cars pulled up and they just kept coming. They just kept pulling up. It was one and then two and then three and then four and then five. And this cops, cop cars just pulling up, you know, sirens weren't blurring or anything because it's two in the morning. You don't want to make a big disturbance out of it. Just silently, all these cars pulling up and all these cops getting out of these cars. And they wind up talking to this guy very calmly in front of the McDonald's. So now our bus driver has uh, got that situation rectified. He closes the door and turn the lights off in the bus and we get ready to get back on the road. The way that we're going to get back on the road is uh, we have to go around the McDonald's and, and come back around the other side in order to, uh, to, to get out of this little complex area. Somebody who was very street smart on our bus. Uh, when we come back around the other side, we're about to go past that same McDonald's that we just went around. And somebody on the bus says, right out loud, you know, sort of randomly, hey, y'all watch. We're about to watch an episode of The Wire right now. Watch this. It's 2 in the morning. I'm, I swear, I thought the guy was talking about he was going to take out his phone or his tablet and start playing an episode of the TV show The Wire. I didn't know what he was talking about. And so by the time I looked up and figured out that he was talking about what was going to be happening outside, I, then I said, oh, we're about to see, you know, something bad happen to this guy now that, now that the, uh, the cops have him uh, and now that we're not looking at him. So I expected when we came back around to the front of the McDonald's that we were going to see the guy on the ground just getting his ass beat by, by all these cops or whatever. And that's not what we saw. <laughs> it was so creepy. It was so eerie. What we saw was nothing. This this turning around the bus and going back past McDonald's, that couldn't have taken more than 60 seconds, 90 seconds, uh, uh, two minutes, something around, something like that. And by the time we came back around to that McDonald's, that guy, the, the freeloader on our bus, he was gone. The cops were all gone. The cop cars were all gone. They disappeared, this motherfucker. They just straight up took him. I don't know where they took him. We've never seen him again. I don't know if he survived. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to any of those cops. But they just smooth took his ass and just disappeared him. And so when we talk about Rex Burkhead, if Tom Brady's thumb injury is more serious than they're letting on, some cops are going to take Rex Burkhead out of the locker room very carefully and very calmly and very quietly. And everyone's going to think that he's all smooth and then everything is cool and the moment you turn your head and look up he's going to be just gone and whoever took him out of the locker room is just going to be gone they're just going to disappear in the thin air because that's what happened to my man down in effingham so 
lesson learned. Don't ever trespass in Effingham. Don't ever get on a bus in Effingham that you're not supposed to be on. Because if you do, you're going to look up and you are just not going to exist anymore. You're just going to vanish into complete thin air. That, that story never gets old. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time. Again, I, having been through Effingham and been at that very truck stop on the Greyhound, or in your case, it was value value bus or mega bus or or whatever it was this was a greyhound but uh but i've been but i've on the been, mega I've bus been there i have definitely been to that truck stop but that's like the the overnight route you don't drive there through the daytime usually um no, they, we didn't uh, anyways oh <laughs> it wasn't daytime i know that no they they stopped in effingham uh during the day yeah. but okay but well, that's one yeah. of the major stops on the way down there yeah. it was effingham we our, our major stops were Effingham and Sykeston. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those were the two truck stops that we stopped at, where you actually got a chance to actually get out of the bus and and, and walk around and go use a real bathroom, not the one on the bus. Ugh. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. If you can if you can avoid that as well, don't ever use a bathroom bus and then don't ever get yeah. on a bus that you're not and, supposed to be on. Yeah, and everyone should always do everyone in the world a favor who's on a Greyhound. Don't drop a deuce on the Greyhound bus because uh-huh. then the whole back the whole back half of the bus smells like poop. I mean, it's, I, had completely uh, for, I had forgotten about that part of the story, but that happened too. Before that, before the, the trespassers, <laughs> that happened. I was in the yeah. I happened to be sitting in the back of the of the Greyhound, and somebody dropped a. I mean, I mean a bad one too, like made your eyes water. <laughs> I don't think there are good ones on the. If you kind of go so bad that you well, gotta drop the deuce on a Greyhound bus, it's bad. Everybody it's else be bad. Hold it. You know yeah, what? I, right. I think I can hold this stuff. You, if you're pinching loaves on the Greyhound bus, you have got problems. <laughs> I guess you're right about that. You're taking the old Browns of the Super Bowl. Nothing good's gonna happen <laughs> on the Greyhound bus. Uh, Man. Well, honors and dishonors next week, huh? That's right. I I always forget what night we do the uh, honors and dishonors. Sunday night, I believe. Okay. Um, Yeah, we can do it either. I think you're right, because usually the the Pro Bowl is on, and we're wondering who's watching this shit. Nobody watches the Pro Bowl, so I believe that's when we are honors and dishonors. So, man, I got to go through, get all my categories. Actually, got to get this all down on paper. I've got a ton of it all in my head, and I'll start going through this next week, and I'll go through all my categories, and I'll, I'll get them all. Uh, I'll get them all set up. So, yeah, uh, honors and dishonors is always a fun show, and hopefully, we're still. Uh, Hopefully, at that point, we are still competitive in this. So, go Vikings. No, go Eagle. Um, honors and dishonors is uh, 9 o'clock Central. Is that good? That works. If it's on Sunday night, then, yeah, 9 actually works just fine. I'm home All right. way before that. So, we won't have any issues a week from Sunday. Yeah, three hours of football talk. Woo. Well, we did it again well, tonight. Three hours with only two picks. We shit all over the, and we shit all over the Patriots for half an hour, which I love. <laughs> two and a half hours of football, and then some time for me to talk about disappearing somebody uh, on a off, off a Greyhound bus. Yeah. 
and, and, and poop on a Greyhound bus, which nobody should ever do. No. It, you can poop it, on a plane, and you can poop on a train, but never poop on a Greyhound bus. Why is that? Why is the circulation so much better on a on a plane? That's well, okay, well, on, too. A, on a pl- well, yeah, but on a plane, they're doing just doing so much with the air and, and everything, and a lot of that just sinks down, and everything's just so compressed. And on a train, that shit just goes right on the tracks. Right. Seriously, you hit the button on an Amtrak train if, if, after you're done, and you hit the flush button, and you look down, you're like, you actually see the tracks going by underneath you. <laughs> yeah, just. Right, right there. Uh, you don't have to worry about nothing. But on the bus, right. it stays with you. Yeah. And it piles and up. It doesn't go one and, and two and three away. and four. It does not go away. Yeah. It's crap and, on crap on crap on crap. I remember taking the Greyhound bus down to my grandparents, and we were taking the Greyhound down to Memphis, and we sat in the back on the way down. We did not make that mistake. We were right, right behind the driver <laughs> on the way back to Chicago. Because we made the mistake of being towards the back of that bus and somebody dropped something that we were just like, oh, oh, this is like stomach turning. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing on the on the bus ride back. I was up near the front. <laughs> so Lesson learned. Lesson number two, always sit towards the front of a Greyhound bus. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm ready for bed. All right. Next Sunday night, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, for Honors and Dishonors, the awards that the NFL don't want you to hear about. We give out our our legit awards, our best players, MVPs, and things of that nature, coaches of the year. But we also have some uh, honors and and, and some dishonors, some awards and rememberings and things that happened during the season that uh, the NFL probably doesn't really want you to remember, don't want you to think about too hard. So, we, we we have all the awards. We we try not to miss any tricks when it comes to that. So always a lot of fun for that. Definitely looking forward to it. Everyone, enjoy your championship Sunday, your conference title games tomorrow. At the end of the day, there will be two teams in the Super Bowl, and I still can't believe that one of the two quarterbacks in the Super Bowl is going to be either Case Keenum, Nick Foles, or Blake Bortles. Oh, my God. I – don't even know how to respond to that. Wide open, like I said, this season. Wide open. He is Jay. I am Dre. This has been In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Thank all of you for listening to three hours of our blathering. And we will be back Sunday night for Honors and Dishonors. Talk to you then. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.